football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slings. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube, Monday morning, 7 a.m., ready to go to review Divisional Round Weekend, Sam. Mm-hmm. Big games. Four games, couple hours to break it all down. Let's do it, man. Let's go. Um, we've had, uh, it's always a fun weekend, Divisional Round. You get the two teams coming off a bye, and uh, you usually get some good football, so... Anything you want to talk about at the top before we get into it? No, we got some very good football this weekend, I think. All right, let's do it. Let's start Saturday afternoon. Baltimore Ravens 34, Houston Texans 10. Ravens move to the AFC Championship. Um, as we had mentioned on the preview show, sometimes you forget how good teams are yeah. coming off their bye. And uh, look, the 49ers had some ups and downs in their game, which we'll get to. But uh, Baltimore looked pretty good and uh, pulled away in the second half. It was 10-10. It was a big turning point in the game, which I'll get to. Uh, but Lamar Jackson, J- Lamar Jackson finishes 16 of 22 for 152 and two passing touchdowns, but also 11 carries for 100 yards, two rushing touchdowns. First quarterback in NFL history to have two passing and two rushing touchdowns, I believe. Is that what it was? There was some stat. You always get those stats. <laughs> the first guy to ever do this, this, and this. But uh, two passing and two rushing touchdowns for Lamar Jackson as the Ravens pull away in the second half. Yeah, the second half certainly felt like exactly what you were talking about in the preview show, which is, you know, sometimes you forget just how good that one seed is. They rock up and they're just better than the team that made it through the wild cards. And that that was what the second half of this game was. It was close in the first half. The punt return touchdown maybe made it look closer than it actually was. Um, but certainly in the second half, I mean, what, the Ravens were 24 nothing or something in the second half. They yeah. just, they scored. The Texans couldn't. And therefore, Baltimore just eased away consistently in the second half, and they were they were better on both sides of the ball. The punt return you mentioned, Stephen Sims, it was ten to three Baltimore, and uh, Houston was really struggling moving the ball offensively. Yeah, I mean they basically couldn't get anything going on offense all game. Right. They had the punt return touchdown, and they'd only just you know got the three points before that. They were struggling completely on that side of the ball throughout. Baltimore started slowly and then started scoring, and that was all she wrote. Yeah, Steven Sims with a 67-yard punt return to make it 10-10 to before the half. And then Baltimore gets the ball back. They had a chance to maybe score just before halftime. Uh, Lamar Jackson gets sacked a couple times, didn't really have an opportunity to score. So, again, Houston, it felt like they at least they had the momentum, Sam. Mm-hmm. Houston had an opportunity to um, – it was a big play to at least keep them in it. But as you said, Houston didn't really – they were unable to do anything offensively. Um, early down runs – to nowhere for the Texans. The Ravens' run defense was very good. Uh, Devin Singletary finishes with just nine nine carries for 22 yards, a bunch of them on first down. He had a 16-yarder in there, but other than that, they were really going for nothing, uh, putting them putting Houston against uh, behind the sticks. Uh, John Harbaugh at halftime, I don't know if you listened to his interview, just seemed very confident. A lot of what Harbaugh said, I think both – before the game, during the game, after the game, 
basically implying Lamar Jackson's locked in. This team's locked in. They feel really confident in uh, just how good they are. You know, like a, there's like a real subtle confidence with this team. And John Harbaugh was it was basically implying like, hey, we we think we're going to, you know, maybe pull away here in the second half. He didn't say it like that, but he was implying it. And that's exactly what the Ravens did. Yeah, I mean, I think you could certainly you would expect it. It was a close game in that first half, um, but Baltimore's defense looked so good, and they were really stymieing anything the Texans were were trying to get going at all. The Texans weren't helping themselves either. I mean, they had more penalties before the end of the first quarter than they had in the entire game against the Browns. It's like, okay, it's already hard. You don't need to make it harder with false starts and you know a bunch of other penalties in there as well. Um, this is it's going to be a problem unless they figure out some way of getting offense going because eventually Baltimore will like we've seen this season. They're too hard to stop for the entirety of the game because eventually Lamar Jackson's going to take over. And even in that first half, I mean, they were blitzing the hell out of them. The Texans, they blitz them like 70% of the time or something in the first half. They had just held them before that um, punt return touchdown it's like eventually it's just too hard to keep that up for an entire game eventually they're going to get some stuff going and unless you're able to answer when they do you're going to lose Arthur Millette the uh the nickel corner he had three blitzes all pressure I mean the the Ravens I think that is what makes the Ravens so good both sides of the ball they they're just well-rounded man they they did it was very fundamentally sound they're going to stop the run on first down Jadavian Clowney had a big game Justin Matabuike so the defensive line has a big game and then when you get into second and third and long um, it's they can blitz they can play coverage they can disguise it they can you know create a little bit of indecision in the secondary and they did this without Marlon Humphrey on the defensive side of the ball they did it without Mark Andrews on the offensive side of the ball Andrews should be back for the AFC championship we'll see about Humphrey right I mean there's, there's a chance he could play next week yeah, but either way, um, again, Baltimore really well-rounded effort from them. Uh, Matabuike, who I highlighted, eight pressures for him uh, on the defensive line for the Ravens. A guy that had so many sacks this year, a lot of hustle and cleanup sacks. But this was one of his better pure pass rushing performances on the interior. Um, Baltimore is just too much because you know Houston only scored three points offensively. The punt yeah. return was their only touchdown. So dominant outing from Baltimore. Run game was huge. I mean, the Texans kept kept hammering away at it, hoping that you know sooner or later the weight of carries will break. You know, Devin Singletary had a couple of nice runs in there, but they got 38 net rushing yards for the game. Baltimore had 229 net rushing yards for the game. Uh, they kept hammering away, and it worked. The longer the game went on, the Texans defense it looked like it got tired. I think they just ran out of steam. They they did a really nice job early. Um, they had some really nice plays. They did manage to just about get off the field, but then they were right back on the field again. And it's like eventually, again, you, you just you're going to run out of steam to keep that kind of offense under check, and they weren't able to do it. Just a complete contrast in one team could not run the ball, the other team could run the ball pretty much at will. I want to talk more about the Ravens' offense, but here to me, the turning point in the game it was ten to ten, early third quarter, uh, Ravens driving coming out of the half and they they're in the red zone Lamar Jackson drops back to throw throw in the end zone and Jalen Petrie kind of it pulls off his coverage to uh jump the pass basically and drops the interception in the end zone 
I thought it was, I don't even think it was a bad read from Lamar all that much compared, like as much as it really was just a great play by Petrie. They had basically, they double posts. Petrie's covering the inside post. He's got his eyes on the quarterback. Lamar throws the outside post, not to Petrie's man. Again, he pulls off his man and makes a diving pass breakup, but he has his hands on it. He has a chance for an end zone interception. The types of plays, if you're going to pull the upset, like you need to be able to make that play. That was on first down. And the very next play, Ravens go QB draw, Lamar Jackson up the middle, 15-yard touchdown. And that was it, man. That was, those, were, those two plays essentially, I think, sealed the deal for Baltimore, the types of plays Houston has to make if they're going to pull the upset. Yeah, I don't know if you remember them more just because when you're talking about games like this, you know, both games with the number one seeds, they were like double-digit spreads essentially. I know the second one made it over 10 by the time the game rolled around. I don't know if this one did, but – Effectively, you're talking about a 10-point underdog for either team going into that game. And it's like, if you're going to make that happen, you do need to make those plays or at least not have massive mistakes along the way. And if you don't, those are probably plays that are going to come back to haunt you. And there's this one in the 49ers game we'll get to. You know, there were mistakes in that one where they had opportunities to capitalize as well. It's like you you just can't, can't be sloppy in a game like this against a team as good as you know, the number one seed in, in either case this, this year. Um, just to touch on Lamar again and in what he did, you know, flip the field a couple times with some long runs, uh, very efficient in the passing game, had the two touchdowns, found Isaiah Likely and Nelson Aguilar, got mm-hmm. one for a touchdown. Um, but the, the Ravens just, man, their offense, it was Justice Hill, it was Gus Edwards, Dalvin Cook even got in there a little bit. Late in the game. But putting those, uh, you know, moving their running backs around as they do. Lamar Jackson as part of the design running game, picking his spots as a scrambler. And then the, the players in the passing attack that they are throwing to, they can attack the seam with Isaiah Likely. Uh, they, uh, I feel like they pull out uh, the, the touchdown to Likely was that QB sweep throw. You know, to me, that's... Um, Every five or six games, if I'm the Ravens, I'm pulling out that play. It's a great play. The whole the whole defense is going to commit to the QB sweep with Lamar Jackson. He pulls it down, throws it up for a touchdown to to Likely. Um, they just have so many ways to win. They can win with power. They can win horizontally with uh, with receivers winning yards after the catch with their run game horizontally. Uh, the, the Ravens are just man. It's just a well rounded attack, and you saw all of that in this game. And defense. I mean, their defense is incredible as well, um, all the way through the game. You know, at one point the Texans broke out that, remember the sort of double screen up the middle thing that the, the Seahawks ran a few weeks ago? Um, like, Bobby seemed to reach a point in the game, Bobby Slowick, uh, where he was like, nothing's working, let's pull out all the trick plays. <laughs> he pulled out this, this screen thing where you sort of fake the screen left, fake the screen right, and then there's one right up the middle, and... Was it who was it the Seahawks did it against? And it was wide open, like everything was San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, and it was completely open up the middle. So the 49ers, another good defense, and they dropped it completely, and uh, the tight end just could run right up the middle for a touchdown. Um, well, the Texans ran it, and it, not only was was it uh, Travis Jones got a hand on it um, to deflect it. But Kyle Hamilton was driving on it. I don't think he'd have made the play, but it wasn't going anywhere. Like, yeah. he was going to hit and tackle the tight end right as he caught the ball. If not, break it up. If not, you know, make a play on it. He ends up getting the, the almost interception out of it. Um, but they just – they had everything the Texans were doing absolutely locked down. That defense is so good. They were able to get pass rush. 
with the stable of guys they have up front, guys like Ham- Kyle Hamilton on the back end, and as you said, even with you know injuries in that secondary, it didn't matter. It was at the um, they did the throwback screen too. Was that the throw? That's a different one. That was different a different one. one. It was interesting because you had you had Aikman and it was Aikman and Buck on the call, right? I think Aikman was basically saying, you know, talking to Bobby before the game, they didn't think they could take traditional shot plays against the Ravens. So it was going to be trick plays, right? right. It, to to create explosives against Baltimore, they went with trick plays because that one, I think they had one where they threw it back to Stroud and then set up a screen. They, they barely got that off. And they barely got that one, right? So when when Bobby gets a head coaching job, he promised us yeah, he joined the show. He did. And, you know, that's one of those... I think insight into game planning and where where play calls come from during the week when you're preparing for the week to look at this Ravens defense and say we can't really take traditional shot plays we're going to have to dial up two three four trick plays as the underdog right you and I wonder how much that which ordinarily I would in. say I would I would like applaud as a strategy I would say trick plays generally are probably underused in the NFL yeah. I'm all for getting to a playoff game pulling out like four or five of them in a game but everything they did, the Ravens just had absolutely locked down. Like they this, that would be an interesting question to ask him when when he comes on the show. Um, like, what the hell do you do in a game like this where nothing's working? Like, nothing is going your way. Yeah. What's what's like the the call sheet with all the little subcategories? Where's the category for <laughs> nothing is going right today? Like, here's a good play. Find the good play. Right. Uh, if you look at the PFF grades to both sides, like we mentioned the Ravens defense, how well they played, taking everything away from Houston. Houston's grades aren't going to be all that good either because, again, Baltimore could run, uh, efficient passing attack. It was just a uh, very smooth number one seed taking care of business. The Ravens now, they haven't hosted a championship game since it was the Baltimore Colts playing. The Ravens have never hosted a championship game. I know. Isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah, they've played on the road uh, in New England. Is it just twice in New England that they played? 2011 and 12? 12, they go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, they went on that run in 2012. You have the 2000 Ravens, et cetera, but they've never... 2000 Ravens were in Oakland against the Raiders. Yeah, they've never hosted the championship game themselves. That uh, stadium was bumping. Yeah. The stadium was bumping in Baltimore. The other interesting, the Texans took the ball. Apparently the first time this season they'd done that. The Texans? Yeah. So teams... And they went three and out. It's like, we'll try to get momentum. We'll try and see. uh, Yeah. We're seeing that a little bit more the last. Well, I mean, the the Packers, it's made some sense the last two weeks for them. It was interesting that this was the first time apparently all season the Texans had won the toss and taken the ball and tried to seize momentum. And then this was the flip side of how that can go wrong. They went three and out. And it's like, oh, crap. Now we just gave away that for nothing. I am always a huge proponent of deferring i would almost always defer i just think there is a couple of very limited circumstances in which it makes sense to take the ball and both of them happened for the packers in the last two weeks yeah and i i mean if i knew i was going to score a touchdown maybe i'd take the ball like either but if i knew i was going to score a touchdown i'd rather have it in the second half too sure well yeah except if it's against dallas in the playoffs you know maybe. like i think there's a lot of value to like oh that team is psychologically weak yeah. let's drop the hammer on them right out of the gate and see what happens. And then I think the similar story is true for the 49ers, not because of weakness, but because I think there is value in putting that team out of their game script situation. So Green Bay had both of the instances that I would take the ball come up in the last two weeks. I don't know that it applied for Houston this week. All right, while we're talking about Baltimore, why don't we talk about a very special deal? Yes. We'll just, we'll just get it in. In honor of the Ravens 
making it through to a conference championship and hosting a game for the first time since it was the Baltimore Colts. Yeah. I assume with Johnny Unitas, though, frankly, I'm not going to check. Almost, almost certainly. Right. So you know that the, uh, the tailgate over at Jimmy Seafood is going to be, um, what did I say, off the chain? <laughs> is, that how, is that how you would say it? You should never Boomer. say that. It's going to be exciting next week in Baltimore. Our friends over at Jimmy Seafood, if you follow them on Twitter, um, huge Baltimore Ravens fans. And uh, we were talking to our friends over at Jimmy's. You've been over there. They took great care of you. That's right. Have you never been to Jimmy's? I never got to go. Now, I've eaten their food. You have eaten the food because right. we got the, the we got the box. I've eaten their food the yeah. same way our listeners can now yes. eat their food. Well, this is the thing. So Jimmy Seafood, they obviously have the restaurant there, which is freaking amazing. They have these giant tailgates. They're in the stadium, I think. They've got all And they've got the food trucks. They've got all kinds of stuff. But they also ship the stuff out to people, i.e. us. Yes. And listeners. So here's what you can do. Jimmy Seafood, um, we have a special promo code for them, PFF NFL Pod. That's the promo. And you mm-hmm. get free shipping for orders over $125. Yes. That is a special deal just for our listeners because we talked to the guys over at Jimmy's. We said, we love your food. Send us some food and um, we'll get our listeners a special deal. Free shipping over $125. It's perfect for the Super Bowl. Again, they're diehard Ravens fans. They love PFF over there. And um, the crab cakes. Crab cakes are amazing. So here's the thing, right? We gotta we gotta help the people out, give them some direction here, because yeah. they have you know the they have various I think standard care boxes or whatever that you can get. I would build your own, and I would go certainly what has to be in the box. The crab cakes are, are given. You gotta have the crab cakes. They're good. Crab dip is also very good. The crab cake egg rolls are maybe the greatest substance, the greatest food item that has ever been created by anybody, ever. So you need the crab cake egg rolls in your box as part of your thing. Those things will change your life, and they may, they may develop a problem where you have, to, you have to get crab cake egg rolls shipped to you like every week. I can't be held responsible if, that, if that's what takes you down financially, but you need them in your life. So go to, uh, so where are we going to do this? Jimmy'sFamousSeafood.com. Yeah. Get over there. Promo code PFFNFLPOD. Free shipping over $125. Mm-hmm. Um, you have some crab cakes for me, right? Yeah, they're in the freezer. Gonna, that's going to be a part of my dinner. The, uh, it's going to be a part of my dinner. Tonight. Along with the soup. Well, not today because they're in my freezer. So, okay. Well, which means maybe not this here. week I'm having it. I right. can't wait. So go check it out. Promo codes PFFNFLPOD. Free shipping over $125. Jimmy, Jimmy's FamousSeafood.com. I'd say um, tell them we sent you, but you don't need to. The, you don't have to. The promo code right. tells you. Tells them. Um, perfect for the Super Bowl. Like I would order this. If I wasn't in Vegas. Maybe I still will. I might order this in Vegas if I don't get into the Super Bowl again this year. Will I get a credential this year, Sam? I don't know. So far, not so good. Right. Currently, you don't have one. But the man was very accommodating a year ago before yeah. he forgot we existed. So we'll see. Well, Gordon's trying to... I will say... Trying to, now, this will be my third Super Bowl going. <laughs> hoping yeah. to get into the game and not getting in. I will say, I, it's a newer stadium, so who knows what the setup will be. But based off last year's setup, where the auxiliary media, the, the peasant media, as I was, you know, not the bigwigs, like I assume Peter King was somewhere fancy, um, but the, the, the low-life media like me, you, Gordon is a much better body type to fit in the particular accommodation that was there. You, I genuinely don't think would have fit in the seating from last year. Yeah. Or if you did, you certainly would have been stuck there for the duration of the game without being able to leave your seat ever. 
Like, you couldn't have gotten up, stretched your legs, walked to go get food. Not nah, you're sit down, do not move. You can't get out for the next three and a half hours. And the media food hours. was trash. Yeah, it was a right. lunchbox, which you had to, you wouldn't have been able to get it. You would have been sitting in your seat trapped without being able to get access to the lunchbox. I would have had to go and get your lunchbox food for you that you wouldn't have wanted to and eat. And I ordered 50 wings right. in my and hotel then, room instead. And your lunchbox would have just been trapped in your small square of footage that took up all your entire desk. It would have been a nightmare. If you're new to the show, it's probably worth just going back to our Super Bowl show to hear that discussion, how we, uh, we had different experiences on Super Bowl Sunday. Mm-hmm. We had fun. Um, look, this was, this was the biggest blowout of the weekend. Um, there's only so many ways we could say that the Ravens were really good. They overwhelmed the Texans. Um, look, Houston was hot too, right? They were hot. They, you know, both sides of the ball. Um, C.J. Stroud uh, stepping into... Uh, stardom we'll say you know one of the best rookie seasons of all time Stroud didn't play the best game I don't think it was all on him he didn't play the best game but it wasn't horrendous yeah I mean as we said nothing was going right so yeah Stroud didn't play amazing but I mean it's not his fault like nothing was working a couple more things to shout out here it was brought to my attention that both CJ Stroud and Jordan Love had near identical passer ratings this week again for the second straight week why and I think this in this week Stroud uh outgraded Jordan Love. Ah, great. So I expect um, expect a lot of blowback. Perfect. In this one. Were they, like, otherwise? No, they weren't. Like, uh, Love was actually... The construction of yeah. the staff. what was, was ridiculous different. about last week is that the box score was almost identical. Right. It the just the pass rating. Every, Everything. Week, Stroud had no touchdowns or interceptions. Love had, what, two and two touchdowns and picks? Right. So the construction of the grade was very different. Yards per attempt were very similar. But a 72.2 passer rating for C.J. Stroud, 72.4 for Jordan Love. Almost identical week to week. Um, just had to point that out. Um, one other weird thing. So, uh, again, we mentioned Bobby Slowick a lot because he is a, he's an alumni mm. of the PFF NFL podcast. Was colleague. on the show. Former colleague. As an analyst. Um, he, has, he had three interviews, I think, yesterday, the day after the yeah. game. They've got... So he had two Zoom interviews before the game and then was like, right now I can do my actual interviews. I mean, those are all on Zoom, too. They're three in the same day. He's not taking a private jet everywhere. You don't know. They're all remote if he's doing three in a day. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're all on location. Maybe they'll come to him. That's, it's possible. It's possible. But um, this is um, – I can't remember the exact rules. This is new, having playoff coaches be able to interview during the playoffs. Yeah. And so you've got uh, Ben Johnson with Detroit doing this, Mike McDonald with the Ravens doing this. These guys are all doing interviews like two or three a day before the game. And they're at not times. short. Like these are long interviews. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not the uh, Jeff Saturday no, 10 hours all, but it is on like, campus type of thing. I forget. Somebody brought it up. These things can last like four to six hours. And look, I think. By the way, that's a corporate Zoom you're, yeah. you're needing for that. Imagine 40 minutes of that. Set, set up the call again. Football's complicated and also simple all at the same time. Like, it's not like the Friday and Saturday before a game, people are like drawing up new plays or anything. You know, the game plan's in. The game but you plan's got a week. In. If somebody's chewing up 12 hours of that, you it's know? the men- But it's the mental capacity. Because I've heard people push back on this, right? Like, a lot of pushback on the idea that football coaches have this idea that I have to work all day, I've got to sleep in my office. You talk about John Gruden's in the office by 3 a.m. Like all these stories you hear from coaches. But it's like, man, when you're calling plays and you're in a game, how do you stay focused, right? You want, you want that mental clarity. 
You know, you probably need your AG1 for your for your mental clarity. We'll talk about that later. I mean, but yeah. how how do you how do you keep focus there when at the same time you've got this dream job potential? You have a chance to be an NFL head coach for the first time. And oh by the way, you're getting interviewed about how are you going to how are you going to fix my how are you going to fix my team? Yeah. What are you going to do with my roster? What's your plan for my roster and who we might draft and what we might do in free agency? Like those are all parts of the interviews. This is an unbelievable juggling act for coaches who have to go, oh, by the way, try to win a playoff game and win a Super Bowl with their team right now. None of it is helpful to the team <laughs> actually in the playoffs at the current moment. Uh, we talked about, about it a little bit with Brad on Friday's show. Um, Brad basically says, just push it back. They don't need to be doing it during the, super, during the playoff run. Like, this is silly. I, the I mean, two weeks in between the Super Bowl feels like a yeah. That's the thing. So you have a week, and in, in this case, right? So Bobby is fresh off playoff game one, where they absolutely wrecked the Browns. Now you have a week to cope with another one of the best defenses in the NFL and figure out how you're going to stop them. And then, so I mean, that's a fairly finite amount of time anyway to construct a game plan completely centered around beating one really good defense. Um, if you're doing two interviews in that time and they can last four to six hours, that's a day. One of your days, of which you don't have that many, is gone, right? Now you also have to prep for the idiot-specific things that that team is going to be asking you. Bobby is, like, locked in on Ravens and nothing else and his team and blah, blah, blah. And now someone's going to ask him about, like, a draft prospect or an upcoming free agent or whatever, right? So, like, you can't just go, I have no earthy idea what you're talking about. I, he needs to prep that stuff, right? So that's also time taken specific to the interview that's not going on game planning against Lamar Jackson, or forget not Lamar Jackson, the Kyle Hamilton and the defense and blah, blah, blah. It's not good. Like, I, I don't see any way that helps anybody except the teams make, getting those interviews done. So, I, But I also have sympathy with the idea that if they don't get interviewed now, you are setting those teams back by having to wait. Like, while everyone else is getting on with the offseason, that team is, you know, well, just twiddling their thumbs until their preferred coaching candidate becomes available. The, the other thing, I mean, it's not, like, it's not like Bobby or Mike McDonald or any of these guys. It's not like they're on an island and it's like, hey, go, you know, sure. go, uh, go do some research and do your interview. They, have, uh, they all have agents. The agent's job, um, because we do work with agencies, by the way, they do have our data to help with this process. They are prepping, right? They are prepping all of their candidates for uh, for their interviews and everything. It's not like they're on an island doing all this, but it's still no. But at some point, the information needs to get into your head, and yes. that takes some time. Yes. You know? um, so it's I think, time you're not spending on whatever you should be doing during that week. And anyway, we could talk more about that another time. But I thought that was just another interesting wrinkle here. So look, I'm, I, I can't wait to see this Ravens team against the Chiefs. The Chiefs, who we'll talk about in a couple hours. Chiefs are firing on all cylinders, both sides of the ball. We know that their defense has been great all season, but now their offense um, is cooking. We're cooking yesterday against a depleted Bills defense, now going up against the Ravens, who have just been so consistent. I think it's it's the consistency of the Ravens, Sam, from 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 start to finish this season, and just over the course of a sixty minute game, even when it was ten to ten, consistency, consistency, and by the end of the day, you know they're up thirty four to ten. And they're running like crazy, and they can win in all phases. So, uh, good job by Baltimore. Can't wait to see them hosting the AFC Championship next week. Good? Mm-hmm. 
Remember, go get Jimmy's Seafood. Go get Jimmy's Seafood. Jimmy's Famous Seafood. What's the promo? PFF, PFF NFL, NFL pod. pod. Do we, we, I mean, I don't know. This never, was, this was not a podcast thing, right? When we did the training camp tour back in the late 1970s, whenever that was, <laughs> um, <clears throat> we ended up going to Jimmy's Seafood when we went through Baltimore. And they absolutely took care of us, hooked us up. They gave us a free bucket of crab that incinerated Jack Farrell's hands trying to open the crab. Oh, yeah, the blue crabs, yeah. They, you know, they, like, demonstrated how to do this, right? They had the, the server, and she was like, you get the, you prize the, the thing open with its own leg, and you rip it apart, and she's doing this whole thing, like, quickly, you know, Jack is trying to follow along, and it's like, I don't understand how you're doing this. This is like the temperature of molten lava. How is this not incinerating your hands? Um, so we had the whole crab, and they gave us, like, polos and stuff. Those guys were awesome. Yeah, because you asked, you asked the people, where should we eat? Everybody said Jimmy's. Yeah. You went there, and they, they treated you like kings. They did. I wasn't on that leg of the tour. I missed no. it. But, um, That's a shame, because you would have you would have wrecked some crap. But they will deliver. They delivered. They delivered. They told us they delivered to Alaska. They, they deliver all across the nation. Who is out there in Alaska ordering crab from Maryland? That's how good it is. Yeah. That's how good it is. All right, man. Saturday night, San Francisco 49ers 24, Green Bay Packers 21. In the rain. Uh, a lot of rain. Big rain game here for the it Niners. It said the weather forecast was for, what was it, like light rain. That wasn't light. No, it was it was off and on. But then it got it got real heavy when uh, the Packers were trying to make their Right at the worst late. time, yeah, yeah, for Green Bay's point of view. Uh, it was a back-and-forth game, man. Uh, Niners were up 14-13. to 13. Packers come back, go up 24-14 to 14, uh, with a touchdown and a two-point conversion heading into the fourth quarter. Uh, Niners come back with a field goal to get within four, and then Brock Purdy does lead the game-winning drive. Christian McCaffrey, six-yard touchdown with 111 left, put the Niners up for good. Game ends with a Jordan Love, Brett Farvian type of throwback across his body for a game-ending interception. It was a really good game. There are, I mean, there are some Brock Purdy takes out there that are just all over the place because people just can't, I mean, I, I don't know, we'll talk about it, but... What are your instant takeaways coming out of this one? Best game of the weekend? Um, I mean, Chiefs-Bills was... But that had a crappy ending. It did. This didn't. I mean, the, the ending wasn't good from Green Bay's point of view, but it was like it was a good ending to the game in addition to being an amazing game all the way through. Yeah, this was, this uh, was really good. It I don't was, think it, the football was necessarily amazing quality top to bottom, but from a... Like, this game was incredible. Um, I just like the drama. I mean, even if it's... Um, if it's good defense or it's bad offense or it's great, whatever it is, it's it's the drama. Yeah. And it's and not like it was terrible football. Play. It just wasn't, you know, there have been better games from a fundamental football quality in the NFL. But this was a fantastic game that was tight, compelling, uh, was a battle all the way through it, had key plays, had key almost plays, you know, that could have swung the game and didn't. Um, it was just a fantastic game, I thought. Another, so, Do you have a list of the Packers missed opportunities. I have a list of a few. Yeah, few players I mean, well, I one guy basically almost. Got, I mean, one, you could argue one player on defense cost them this game. I wouldn't make it that strong, but it's not a great performance from him. Um, but go back to the start. So last week, Green Bay won the toss, took the ball, and scored immediately against Dallas and, and put them in a hole. Started the whole thing and was a huge part of it. And we were saying, look. I've said all season long, a team needs to do that to San Francisco because I think that's the way you can knock that team off its uh, game. Green Bay tried it. They 
They won the toss again. They took the ball again. Again, just like last week, they had this giant, last week I think it was a 12-play drive before they scored the touchdown. This week it was a 14-play drive. They had to settle for a field goal. Um, they The next drive, they end up getting, uh, or on that drive rather, they get a, a, a pass interference from Ambry Thomas that was a huge sort of extension. That was on third and six. Uh, Ward, Charvarius Ward has a pass breakup in the end zone. Great play. Which is a four-point play. That was on third down, was in the was basically going to be in the guy's hands. That would have been your touchdown to open the game. Ward breaks it up, ends up having to settle for a field goal. So that's a four-point defensive play by Javarius Ward. Um, then on the 49ers' first drive, Darnell Savage drops a stone-cold interception right into his hands. That might have been a pick six. That might have been the play. Right away, they had a chance to get the touchdown, didn't get it because Ward breaks it up in the end zone, but it's still three points. Then they get a an interception thrown right to Darnell Savage. Remember, he got one last week against Dallas. He got a, a, an amazing play, pick six, huge part of that whole thing. Didn't get it. The bad read by Brock Purdy. Um, they eventually get the stop, but that was a big play that could have broken their way. Um, and then the next drive, Green Bay goes for it in fourth and one in the red zone doesn't get it so they all they were right on the the cusp of that hole take the ball score put them in a hole and they couldn't quite get it to the level where it would have i think really caused problems there's more to talk about on that fourth and one but first is 2024 bringing exciting or unexpected changes to your life well here's a secret weapon to help you face those challenges with more confidence it's a great term life insurance policy that's right Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to protect your family's financial future so you can focus on what's ahead, knowing your family is protected if something else unexpected happens. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to cover in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. The fourth and one failure that you talked about, Packers, they do a hurry-up QB sneak on fourth and one. They could have kicked a field goal to go up six. We know in these games against... As, as a nine-plus point underdog, you probably don't want to just go up six. You need to, you know, need touchdowns here. Jordan Love, QB sneak on the hurry up. Looked like a bad spot. Yeah, it really did. Looked like a bad spot. There were two, I think two bad spots the, that on was... Love QB sneaks. The first one, they couldn't challenge it because it was probably just too risky, Right. It just it wasn't clear enough, but it was probably a bad spot. Yeah, I don't the know. The second they, one was clear, and they overturned it. Right. Later. I, yeah, I don't know that they would have won won that challenge, but it did look like a bad spot. Um, it, the other interesting thing about that was it was a long one. You yeah. know, a lot of times fourth and one can be anything from four inches to go, like where actually Jason Kelsey got you the first down before you even snap the ball. Yeah. With yeah. this little you know move the ball forward thing, or it can be like a yard and a half. This was more than a yard. It was a long one to go. Now, they still maybe got it and got screwed out of it by the, the tough uh, spot of the ball. But still, I mean, that, 
that was sort of showing you how aggressive they were trying to be early in this game, taking the ball, trying to get it all, trying to make that thing. Because all the way through this game, they were throw, they were flashing up those graphics of the things you say don't mean anything. Shanahan, what was he, 0-38, trailing by eight or more going into the fourth quarter. They then modified that because they weren't going to get to eight. Turns out he was 0-30 before this game, trailing by five or more in the fourth quarter. That again it's pretty crazy it's the worst in the nfl however difficult it is to win from those situations and he ends up getting the win this time the yeah they did modify it mm-hmm. so he didn't get over the down eight hump well we have to, that, that you stat's have to admit, still alive for us right you have to admit that is a more it's the the lower that number gets the more compelling it becomes all i'm saying is if you're going to create an entire narrative around the offense can't come back and they can't play uh, from a deficit or whatever that narrative might be, you have to include any time they've been down five. Because Jimmy Garoppolo, in his career, is very good at fourth-quarter comebacks. He has been very good. He's about 50% of the time they've won, which is high. There's four quarterbacks above 50 in NFL history. So Jimmy Garoppolo has been very good in fourth-quarter comeback situations. That includes any comeback. So I don't remember them all specifically. So, of course, that's if they're down three or they're down two and they kick a game-winning field goal. That all counts. Right. But I'm sure some of them, there was a point where maybe they didn't enter the fourth quarter down five, but at some point they were down at least a touchdown in the fourth quarter and still made the comeback. So that, like, if you're going to create an entire storyline around it, then include all of the opportunities, I guess, is my point. But that is quite a large – it's not like we're – this isn't a sample size problem. Like 30 is a pretty large number of – you know, games where this has happened that no, they've I, gotten zero I get it. before this. I, I understand. All I'm saying is if you're going to come to the conclusion that the offense just doesn't function when they're down in the fourth quarter, there were other games where they made plenty of fourth quarter comebacks. Even if it was just for a game-winning field goal, like they still were able to do it, right? Um, either way, they ended up doing it. Uh, Brock Purdy in this game was just all over the place early on. Accuracy was all over the place. Um, started out the game with a glove, yeah. took off the glove. So remember, the the last game that Purdy played in the rain was against Cleveland earlier in the year where the ball slipped out of his hand completely one time, just like, gone. And he had a couple of other plays in there that were ugly. And I attributed to the damp, not damp, wet conditions, to the rain. And we had an emailer or a listener, like, argue with that and say well that's not true like he's also you know had other plays i forget what his argument was but basically saying it wasn't the conditions um the conditions were at least in his head enough that he came into this game wearing a glove that he doesn't normally wear so he's like i need the i need the grip and then dumped the glove during the game and there's that one video out there of him being so in his own head that he's like wiping his hand mid drop back with the ball in his left hand. I couldn't believe that. Right. As a, as a tick to be like, uh-oh, and then throws a ball that wasn't close to being completed. So, look, the conditions I don't think helped either quarterback, and I think both quarterbacks actually had by f- like far from their best game. I think you have to start saying the wet weather absolutely impacted Brock Purdy twice this season. Yeah. Yeah, it abso- I mean, it absolutely did. And again, they both they both had to play in it. But um, Purdy ended up making some huge plays in the end. And by the way, the weather, I think, the wet weather, I think absolutely contributed to the crazy Farvian 
game-losing throw that Jordan Love attempted at the end. Yeah. I mean, look. That, if that's dry, that ball probably lands a fair distance away from where it landed in this game. It was a, I mean, it was a poor, it was a poor decision, obviously. Um, let's circle back to Love. I just wanted to talk Purdy a little bit. Long. Well, here's, here's one thing that stood out to me. The run games, in, in the playoffs generally, the running games have been good. And, and we've been, we're always pretty vocal here, PFF, that you know, it's, a, it's a passing league, it's a pass-first league. And I, th- I think a lot of the old adages that you, know, you need to run the ball in January type of thing are, are a little overblown. But I think there's some truth to it this year. I, I, don't, I don't think you need to hashtag establish the run or anything like that, but you do need answers. And you never you rarely want to be one-dimensional as an offense. And I think the Packers ran the ball really well the last two weeks. That was a big part of their win against the Cowboys. They ran the ball really well in this game as well. Uh, but the Niners also ran the ball well. The Chiefs and the Bills ran the ball well. The Lions did. I mean, there's a lot of teams, and we, we talked about the Ravens with over 200 yards. The run games have been massive in the playoffs so far um but it wasn't a lot of times at the end of the day and the reason why the the rushing stats are always you know people are oh if you win the running battle you win the rushing battle you're going to win and they you know conflate those things um it's been the losing teams have run the ball extremely well too but i think they've needed it the packers offense down the stretch here with aaron jones since he came back from injury was has been outstanding he's aaron been, jones has looked amazing he's been incredible he had a 53 yard i mean the, there was a point where the packers were completely backed up he flips the field with a 53 yarder the packers in between the 20s did almost everything that they could it was red zone it was missed field goal i mean it was little things added up for the packers but the offense was moving the ball aaron jones was a big part of it and again from a san francisco standpoint christian mccaffrey uh, 39-yard uh, touchdown, two total touchdowns. Really nice job by the Niners on the ground as well. Yeah, they McCaffrey was fantastic again. Some bad Green Bay tackling on McCaffrey's touchdowns. Both of them featured a tack. Both neither one of them should have been scored because a guy had him lined up one on one and missed the tackle. Um, so we said before the first Green Bay drive on defense, Darnell Savage drops an interception. Uh, Darnell Savage also misses a one-on-one tackle with Christian McCaffrey in not even in the hole, just at the second level. His first touchdown, the the long one. Savage is coming downhill. He's got him lined up one-on-one. Completely misses a tackle. McCaffrey then sidesteps another guy, and he's gone for the touchdown. Uh, so Darnell Savage in this game has a dropped interception on the first drive that could have been a pick six. He has a one-on-one missed tackle on Christian McCaffrey that ends up in a touchdown. And he gets beaten one-on-one by George Kittle on a play that becomes a touchdown. You're just going to blame it all on Darnell Savage. I'm just saying that if you're going to make three mistakes, it, it's almost impossible to create higher leverage mistakes than those three. That's touchdown, touchdown, and could have been defensive touchdown that you left on the board. All oh, the what-ifs are If so you're going to screw rough. up three times, I don't know that it's possible to screw up three times that would have made a bigger impact than those three. The what-ifs are so rough when you come out of a – a, a playoff loss like that um the the Packers in particular they were spamming toss sweep over and over in this game and I, I I didn't tweet out the stats to everybody but um somebody had asked or I, I tweeted out generally the what we call same side puller any plays where there's a puller to the front side of the play that's like a toss sweep that's the old pin and pull on an outside zone play that is the highest yards per carry play in the NFL over the last four years. I mean, I just checked four years, but historically that's the best play. 
it's one of those things where you can't just you don't just you know just take that data and run it over and over again but the Packers kind of were the Niners didn't have answers for it um, it's an interesting play when you look at the data because the yards before contact as in like the scheme isn't the best but the running back breaks the most tackle they create the most after contact so essentially you're putting the the running back out in space with blockers right and it puts them in position to break tackles and create more big plays and the packers were spamming that over and over again having a lot of success against the niners i didn't tweet this out when they sort of announced it pre-game but i was thinking it (laughs) like the it's actually a good thing that the Packers are without A.J. Dillon in this game because can you imagine if they'd given Dillon, like, just 12? If they just split the workload 50-50. Like, those are, those are plays that are objectively worse, not having Aaron Jones carry the ball by making that split workload. Instead, you get Aaron Jones carrying the load, and then you get a couple plays here or there with Emmanuel Wilson where it's like, okay, Aaron Jones needs a breather for a second. But, you know, A.J., whatever you think about Dillon – it wouldn't have helped, I don't think, them having him in there. It, like, Aaron Jones was fantastic, and leaning on him as the alpha running back in the, the backfield was a big thing for Green Bay. Um, a couple other key points in this game, because I want to talk about Purdy and Love, because I think Purdy and Love kind of just switched. Purdy was inconsistent, I think, throughout most of the game, but he made, the, he made, the big, uh, he made a lot of big throws in the second half. Love had that one spectacular throw where he scrambled and just throws a laser along the left sideline, which was unreal. Um, but Love's accuracy started to disappear in the second half. But before, at the end of the first half, the Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, game game situation, clock control, they were playing for a field goal. They were very conservative before the half. Just the game management again maybe comes back to bite. Kyle Shanahan and the Niners they were playing conservative playing for the field goal missed the field goal settled for a long field goal I was that was just close to 50 I think um man with this offense and those playmakers probably should be a little bit more aggressive yeah Jordan Love was interesting because I he was better in the first half and the second half and maybe that was a weather thing um but he also wasn't as dialed in he wasn't as perfect as he'd been the last sort of few weeks you know where he'd look like he'd hit this level and was just playing at this incredible there were more misses in there and it started to look a little bit more like earlier in the season where it was flashes of brilliance and some really high-end stuff but then you'd get a play here or there where you're just like why was that so far off you know the ball location was off and again I don't I don't know how much of this was the weather maybe all of it was Um, but it certainly wasn't quite it wasn't the Jordan Love from last week where you're like, oh, he's dialed in. Every pass he hits is going to be dead on, and that's a really difficult thing to stop. It's like he's going to, he's missing a few. And even if it's just bad ball location, it's enough that it's causing – it's giving opportunities to uh, the San Francisco defense, and that may come back to bite them later on, and it did. Um, the other play I think that we have to talk about is a massive swing – the Packers get this incredible kick return by Keyshawn oh, Nixon, yes. who then fumbles the ball in the tackle, and then Eric Wilson, trailing it from behind, dives on it and saves a turnover. Incredible play by him. Incredible play by Nixon right up until fumbling, which was and ended up being like you need to credit him for the return because they ended up with great field position because Wilson saved it. But that was a wild play. Elite fumble recovery. And they get a touchdown on that drive. So it was a it was a big play across the board 
all these plays are just so magnified. And I, I think I think the Bills Chiefs game it mattered a lot. In this game though, um, Jordan Love's first interception. You've got the Packers are up twenty-one to fourteen. It's third and eleven. Um, but you know when you're up you're up seven against the Niners. This was the chance. This is what you were you know you were saying like the Packers had a chance to put them in this hole late third quarter to drive down if they just kick a field goal they're up 10 pretty much heading into the fourth quarter the thing that the uh, the Shanahan led teams have never been able to come back from uh, Jordan Love misses the short throw underneath gets tipped up and it's intercepted by Drake uh, Greenlaw who had a huge game for the Niners and that was a perfect example of like it was just off. Like, he wasn't missing those the last yeah. couple of weeks. And then he comes in, and the ball is – it's not even close. It's like a yard behind the tight end. Tight end can only just get his fingers to it. Missed him by a mile. Which is why it ends up getting popped right up into the air into Greenlaw's hands. Those are interesting plays because I don't – they're not necessarily turnover worthy. He didn't make a decision. He didn't throw a pass that, like, really should have been intercepted. He, re- he just missed an open throw. And it just – happen to get tipped up right to Greenlaw. That thing doesn't necessarily get picked off most of the time. But again, Packers were dropping interceptions. Niners have this one. Nice play by Drake Greenlaw, but that thing gets tipped up, you know, almost to him, or at least where he's going. That flips the field for the Niners, gets them a field goal to get back within four, and eventually sets up, you know, gives them the opportunity for their game-winning touchdown drive. So that play was huge at the end of the third quarter because at the other part of this, it's it's about – ends up be- becoming like 40, probably 40 yards of field position. Even if they miss the third down, they're probably going to punt, uh, put the Niners back instead of the Niners get the ball at midfield. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, to me that was the story of Love's second half. I think more of his misses were in the second half. He was off, and then, yeah. of course, he has the, the cross-body miss, right. uh, Sec- cross-body interception to end the game. Second half was worse, um, and I think the rain was worse in the second half. So that's what I'm saying. I, I don't know how much of this was purely conditions, wet football, all that kind of stuff. Maybe all of it was. But the reality is Jordan Love was worse than he's been the last few weeks. And in particular, that manifests itself with accuracy. Plays like that where he misses Tucker Craft over the middle by like two yards almost. I mean, Craft yeah. is a giant human being who can only just contort himself backwards and get one hand to this pass that is supposed to be like at face level as he runs across the middle of the field, wide open, by the way. Um, it There was a point, like, up until that point, didn't it just feel like the rain was affecting the Niners way more? They were slipping all over the place. Yeah. The broadcast was doing a – they were making a big deal of, you've got, you've got like, six pairs of cleats and screw-ins to choose from. And, and it, it's amazing to me. Um, by the way, there are, there are people dedicated on the team to study the play and they're at home but study the playing surface to know the right cleats to know all these things and prepare the players i mean the niners looked unprepared it also blows my mind that that is left up to players to an extent like <laughs> i think you're giving them the information and they have to you know play around with it and see yeah what good. but, but the niners be, were slipping all over the place it feels like there's certain conditions where you just say okay you may have a choice, but your choice is between these two things, not this over here. Like, this is not an option today. Don't even think about it. And yet instead, it's like, well, the surface is slippy. The rain is what it is. Make your choice, however bad it is. And it's only later in the game. Like, for the love of God, take off these ones and put on the giant cleats that are actually going to give you some chance of gripping. That was the Super Bowl. Remember how bad the Super Bowl right. was last year with the Eagles and Chiefs? I mean, Eagles, it's, we're it's slipping all over the place. It's basically any game on grass in weather 
players want grass, but it leads to some ugly products sometimes, just saying. Um, let's talk Brock Purdy a little bit. Again, I, I think I think the rain story was uh, related to Purdy more, and you're, you're rightfully saying, look, it affects both teams. It affects both quarterbacks. It affected Jordan Love. But Purdy was more visibly shaken, it seemed, by the rain. I mean, he was just all over the place. Not just – it wasn't bad decisions necessarily, the savage one maybe, but um, just missing a lot of open throws in this one. But in crunch time, man, fourth quarter, he throws just a ridiculous Nick Mullins-esque up and away from coverage to Jawan Jennings in the middle of the field. Um, great throw there. Um by the way, I mean, there's just so much to talk about here. Debo Samuel getting hurt, too, mm. we have to discuss. Shoulder which, injury early on. Which may impact next week. May impact next week. And Debo has been um, – we know the on-off splits with Debo, but it's, it's true for a lot of these players. And it, it's not always, you know, predictive or whatever. But we know that Debo Samuel makes this thing tick, right? Yeah. Um, to a point. I mean, he, he creates mismatches. He's outstanding. I mean, he was missing previously, and that's when their three-game losing skid happened. Right. Um so him missing time. So you've got Jawan Jennings. You have Chris Conley getting reps. Uh, you know, former Chiefs legend, uh, big speedy receiver who had a 17-yard – it was a great route. 17-yard <laughs> timing deep out by Brock Purdy. But, yeah, Purdy started making some of those throws down the stretch, leads the game-winning drive. I think he was five for six. The one was a drop by George Kittle, which could have been a big drop. And uh, the Niners just bounced back from it, and, and Purdy leads the game-winning drive. So overall, I don't think Brock Purdy played a very good game. The grade won't be great. Something too being able to do that in crunch time and stepping up when he was needed, though. It is interesting how thin this 49ers group of playmakers is, even though it's amazing. So you know, you li- you list off the players you have to try and match up with to stop this offense, and it's McCaffrey, it's Kittle, it's Ayuk, it's Debo Samuel, Kyle Juszczyk. But an injury to any one of them changes everything which is fascinating because as soon as one guy goes down Debo's done now you've got Juwan Jennings getting 31 snaps uh, uh, receiving snaps now Jennings had a great game but I mean I think that's a massive drop off generally and Juwan Jennings is really good though. it leads to Ray May- Ray Ray McLeod and Chris Connolly each getting 16 passing or receiving reps in this game like that's a huge like it's every time one of those guys getting a target and but and as you said the Conley the Conley catch the Conley target catch first down great play but you're like how are we that close from getting Chris Conley being an integral part of this passing offense I mean Juwan Jennings is a good next option for the Niners but it it's kind of like with Miami if uh, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle go down, and it's like, hey, we got River Craycraft coming out there and, and making plays here. Um, yeah, Chris Conley and Ray Ray McLeod. So the other thing, late in the game, one of the one of the the things that had happened over the last few weeks is right up at the point where everyone had gone, Joe Barry's defense is garbage. It's time to fire Joe Barry. The defense played amazing from that point on. One of the biggest criticisms of his defense this season has been not necessarily that it's just been bad across the board, but it's at the most critical moments, it gets way too soft. And they back up and they get passive and they just let the offense move the ball. Like at the crunch time, that's when the defense just gets weak, gets soft. And they did it again. The the close game, you know, it's it's tight. Everything's where it is. The what's the actual score at this point? Green Bay is twenty-one seventeen up, uh, and San Francisco gets the ball. 
in the fourth quarter with six minutes left. And the defense just got so passive at that point. They didn't come after him. They, they backed off. They just let them have that drive. And it was painstaking. They got one, two, two third downs, uh, three third downs in that uh, drive, scored on the final one. And eventually the 49ers took almost all the time off the clock, got the touchdown to Christian McCaffrey, and now you've got a minute left with Jordan Love to try and answer in the rain. It's like if you had just gotten aggressive against an offense that wasn't all right, that Purdy was in his own head with the rain, like if you just stuck to your guns and really came after him on that drive, even if they score, like what's the worst that could happen, right? The six minutes left, I would rather you get too aggressive, they score, and now you've got five minutes or four minutes to answer instead of we're going to be passive, we're going to let them take the entire time off the clock and now we can't answer because there's only a minute left. They went, I'm looking at the coverage breakdown, cover four, so quarters, which is off coverage, like you're saying, a little softer. Quarters, cover six, on, or cover three, on every one of those dropbacks. Except there was the third and five, and this was a huge conversion here. Third and five, slant to Brandon Ayuk. Um, they did, that was the one, the one snap of man coverage that they played on that drive. Right. But Purdy stuck it in there, down and away from coverage. Ayuk did a great job making the play against Nixon. But yeah, you're right. It was um, maybe too easy. But uh, look, I, coming out of this game, you have um, the guy from The Athletic writing that <laughs> I just don't understand. Um, I get the points he was trying to make, except he's – is it David Lombardi? Lombardi maybe? It's – Yeah. Um, from the athletic Lombardi. right it was basically like if you're this is a tough night for brock purdy doubters isn't that guy supposed to be some kind of troll i mean not I like, no, a, like I a think, professional one i think like i a, saw him do the same thing like week three that giants game where the first two passes for purdy were thrown right one, to the defense there's one 49ers guy that everybody says no this, it's a different guy that okay. does the troll the troll stuff no no, think, no but not like uh not like a not for for fun but like he's just there's someone else. He's just that bad. There's someone else. I think okay. Lombardi is just like a, a strong Purdy believer. Okay. So he's looking for any way to be like, well, Purdy must be Montana. Sure. I mean, it's okay. And and look, I I think there's something too. You don't have your best stuff, and the game's on the line, and you go and get the job done. I think there is something to that. I think if you're trying to predict Brock Purdy's future, the ability for him in a in a bad game in bad conditions to step up when needed and play better in the fourth quarter than he did the rest of the game, which, by the way, was the opposite of how Purdy had been operating for a lot of his career. I think there's something to that. But for the con- the conclusion to be like, man, Brock Purdy doubters, rough night for you. It's like, no, it was Mina, I thought, summed it up perfectly. She was like, this is a perfect night for everybody. If you're a Brock Purdy doubter, you're like, dude, can't even throw in the rain. Dude, it's terrible. If you're a Brock Purdy believer, you're like, man, ice water in his veins. Look at that. Comes out at the end. I mean, that's the truth. That was the that was the reality of this game. It was not Brock Purdy's best game, but made some big plays down the stretch. And uh, we'll still wait until we declare him Joe Montana. But I do think there's something to that. And, and the thing, I think the point, if he wasn't, if the Lombardi guy was not so uh, declarative in his statement that it's like, oh, you haters, rough night for the haters. And he just said there are some similarities because he was trying to say there's some similarities when Joe Montana had uh, the catch and he made all these plays. It wasn't always the best game, 
right? And that was what made Montana and a Brady, like that's what made those guys special. Mm. It didn't matter. Like, you may have caught them on their worst day, but if the game's close at the end, those guys are going to lead a comeback. Yeah. Like there's something to that. I agree. But you can't look at this entire body of work and be like, yeah, Brock Purdy, great game. No. Yeah, Dan in the chat says Grant Cohn is the guy I was thinking Grant of. Grant Cohn. Yeah, that's who you're thinking of. Yeah. Um, no, like when I when we did that Montana versus Young sort of podcast thing, one of the things that jumped out the most from going back watching all these crazy old games in the 80s and diving into Joe Montana lore and, and history and all that kind of stuff was just how many games where – his signature comeback you know his signature uh drive to end like to to build up his legacy began you know after joe had already thrown two interceptions and we were down you know 21 points that was like the setup you know what i mean and then yeah. joe goes to work and we make the play and we he executes the comeback and that's what made you know ronnie lott would die for that guy and all these kinds of things it's like but we forget about the first part like he had the Andrew Luck thing. Like, he gets credit for putting out the fire that he started in the first place. Like, Montana <laughs> right. did a lot of that as well. We just don't remember it because it happened in the late 1980s where there was barely yeah. the television coverage and that kind of thing. Now, it's everywhere, so it's easier to, to be obvious. Also, you know, people like PFF exist quantifying every one of these plays. And now, you know, the nerds with their data, you know, there's play-by-play -play and everything in a way there wasn't back in the 80s where you just had, he won. You know, now it's like, well, yeah, but look at the EPA and look at the like it shows you everything. Look, like I said, there's something to it. And as always, I'm just like dead smack in the middle of, of the analysis. Wasn't Brock Purdy's best game? And I thought it was an impressive final drive. Before we need to get into the weeds a bit, you'll love this because it's special teams. Um, so there was there was Irish representation in this game. Daniel Whelan, who was the first Irishman to play in the NFL since the 80s or something. Right now. Spare a thought for the people in Ireland staying up to watch this game, to watch Daniel Whelan punt his way to glory. He didn't, he didn't attempt to kick to like the fourth quarter. I think he only had one punt in the game. But early in the game, there was a bad long snap, and Daniel Whelan does a great job to pick it up off the floor and then get it set, kick. Great job, right? Late in the game, Anders Carlson misses a kick that was pretty big in the outcome. If you look at the hole in that kick, it didn't look good. It was the ball's like tilted all the way forward. It's not like, you know, the perfect ball up, I've spin it forward. I've noticed the ball being tilted forward more. Yeah, but this looked like that, a rough, this did not look like a design tilted forward thing. This looked like not yeah, a great that, hold. So the missed kick had an opportunity to put the Packers up seven instead of four. Which yeah. So we've gone, we've gone, Whelan had one early in the game where he maybe saved the kick by rescuing the bad punt or the bad snap. He also had this one where it looked like he may have also, the kicker gets all the blame when the kick is bad, right? Unless the holder like makes a complete and obvious balls of the hold. It's like, ah, oh, that one was on the holder. But if it's just the balls in front of the kicker, nobody really pays attention for, to how the hold is. It's just uh, the kicker shanked another one. Time to get rid of that guy. And by the way, the Matt LaFleur comment on Anders Carlson was insane. It was. They just casually dropped during the broadcast that, ah, yeah, we asked uh, Matt LaFleur about his kicker, and he said, you know what? Every time he goes out to kick, I just pray. I, excuse me? <laughs> you tell me that your reaction when your kicker goes out to attempt points is, 
I just close my eyes and pray that it makes that he makes it. And yeah. you said that out loud to people. Now, I, again, I don't know what the baseline is there from out of the floor. Maybe he's just uh, that's how he handles all kickers. That's with even, prayer. but but even if he, but it's not the the fact. I would imagine a lot of coaches treat their kickers that way. Like just just let's hope, let's come on. But to say that out loud to journalists, knowing that that's probably going to get repeated on a national at a, broadcast, at is a position wild. Where the, uh, mentality is so fragile right for kickers <laughs> that is crazy that's one of the most insane things i can remember a head coach ever saying out loud in front of journalists uh matt LaFleur. anyway can we let's put a bow on the packer season since it's eight o'clock good season man the future yeah the future's bright so much i mean so f- uh, much f- further ahead than they were expected to be for yeah. them to be in the playoffs for them to take it to the 49ers and honestly I think you can make a pretty strong argument they were the better team in this game and should have won it, and their mistakes cost them the game more than the 49ers like rescuing the game from them. You know, I think they could and maybe should have won this game and didn't. For that to be the reality of this team with a you know first-time starter in Jordan Love and a group of wide receivers that are all first- and second-year guys is crazy. And, and it was different receivers stepping up every single week. Romeo Dobbs was great these last couple of weeks in the playoffs, whether it's Jaden Reed, Luke Musgrave, you know, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones running the ball, still looking good. Uh, the Jordan Love's development this year should have Packers fans obviously really excited, even though this wasn't his best game, not the way you would want to finish it. But they were, you know, they were a seven seed, probably the best seven seed that we've seen because of how hot they were going into the playoffs. So Packers have a lot to be excited about. I think the NFC North, is about to get wild because we know that the the Lions are going to the NFC Championship. We'll talk about them in a minute here. The Bears are probably about to draft Caleb Williams, and the Vikings are always very, very competitive, and I think they've done a nice job in Minnesota as well, putting that roster together and, and building for the future there. So it's going to be competitive. NFC North, Packers fans should be pretty excited about the future and what they were able to accomplish this season. Mm-hmm. Um, just a moment on that last did the Farvian play it it was crazy yeah it was first and 10 aside from anything else there's like a minute left on the clock it's first and 10 he gets forced out of the pocket kind of I mean I made, I made a statement earlier on the podcast that if, you know, I, re- I read the comments somebody's like Steve you're an idiot why would you say this <laughs> I said throwing a game-ending interception isn't the worst thing in the world and I, me- I meant it through the lens of if you need a touchdown to win and what the end of the game, it doesn't matter if the game ends on fourth down on an incompletion or if it ends on an interception. Either way, you have your chances of winning are slim and you might have to take some chances. It was actually about Jordan Love and maybe it was the Pittsburgh game. The game ended on an interception when they just had to like force a throw or whatever. This is different where they needed a field goal to tie so you could play both sides, right? That actually puts the defense in a bind, right? You don't want to give up the game ending touchdown. But you also, you know, you don't want them to get into field goal range either. You don't want to go to overtime. The offense can kind of dictate their terms there, take the underneath stuff if they need to, take shots when they have opportunities. This was a very poor decision. This was a bad way to end the football game. Yeah, like in his defense. So actually Hargrave is, from his perspective, Hargrave is forcing him well out of the pocket. He's got to run. So at the point he runs, there isn't much on. Like you look at the the receivers on the play when he's forced out of the pocket to his right they're all running deep they're all covered 
and there's basically nothing on. The one he attempts, if you're going to try a, try a pass at that point, the one he attempts is the only one you could even even think about. The thing is, though, like, it's first and ten. You just – the play's dead. Get rid of it. Like, you've, you're forced yeah. out of the pocket. If you just throw that away, it's second and ten, and you're due over. Like, yeah. why – the pass he attempted was never on, and certainly not from the dynamics he was attempting it from. Just a horrible, horrible decision. Again, it was so similar to that Brett Favre 2009 Vikings NFC Championship game that a lot of people drew up like side by side. The Favre one, it wasn't as far, but it was the same thing in terms of like, you don't need to make that pass at that point. Like, Favre's running to to the right field. He's got open real estate in front of him. He can pick up most of the first down by just hobbling his way to the sideline. Don't attempt the pass. This was similar. Like, you got out of the pocket. You're not going to take a sack. You you have enough time before Nick Bosa closes you down. Just throw it out. Throw it away. I think that's one of the next steps in Jordan Love's development, right? We're so impressed because some of the throws he made this year were just out of this world. And when he was on the confidence that he played with and this is this is a confident throw <laughs> ill-advised confidence on this throw here um, but the confidence that he played with and then executed with was so impressive the second half of the season Jordan Love but now it's going to be I think about situational football and knowing when to rely on special arm special throws live to play another day that is uh another down that is uh I think the next step for Jordan Love here is a little more situational football situational awareness even early in the season when he there were uh, I think was it a game ending interception against the Raiders as well it just felt like the shot plays were coming at the wrong times for Jordan Love at various points in the season this is an example of that so I think that's gonna be a big part of the learning experience incredibly impressed with what Love did this year and the tools and the actual you know execution of some of the throws that he made now it's going to be about making them at the right time I think going forward we got no more use for this game? No. All right, got to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. We uh, we hit this weekend. Yeah. Pro- the Prize Picks lineup from Thursday. The first no questions asked, no flex play involved, just clean sweep victory. So we went we went more, you know, half touchdown for Christian McCaffrey rushing and receiving. That was good. Dalton Kincaid more than 39 and a half receiving yards. Josh Allen more than 43 and a half rushing yards. A huge number. But he did it because Josh Allen runs like a maniac. So uh, we did it. Our prize picks lineup had a, a really good weekend here. And uh, you can do the same thing. Prize picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. You pick more, you pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than a two to six player stat projection and watch the winnings roll in. Want to play alongside some of prize picks favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the PrizePix community each week. PrizePix even offers a reboot policy so the entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for football and basketball games, if a player who exits the game in the first half doesn't return in the second, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So you saw us this weekend. We set our lineup. We picked more or less, and we won. That's how easy it is. So you guys can all do the same thing. You go to prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use the code PFFNFL. You get a first deposit match up to $100. Again, prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL. Get your first deposit match up to $100. Pick more. Pick less. 
It's that easy. On to Sunday's games. Detroit Lions 31, Tampa Bay Bucks 23. The Lions move to the NFC Championship. Detroit Lions are one game away from the Super Bowl here, Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a this was another good game back and forth. You know, anytime you have these were touchdown plus underdogs, pretty much. Bucks were six and a half point underdogs. So from Houston standpoint, Green Bay standpoint, Tampa Bay, they're all underdogs on the road. You need things to go well for you. Uh, you need breaks or whatever it might be. And the the Bucks kept hanging tough, hanging tough. They were they were they were in this. They got to 17-17 at the half. Uh, Lions started pulling away, but the Bucks got within a score. Uh, eventually, Baker Mayfield also throws a game-ending interception, like Jordan Love, and the Lions seal the deal to go to the NFC championship yeah uh lions i think played well enough to get it done yeah the the bucks were able to hang tough despite consistently making the kind of mistakes that just made it difficult to do that and eventually one too many mistakes cost them the game but you know mike evans drops the pass early on becomes an interception goff throws to jamel dean in the end zone what should have been a turnover should have been an interception drops that interception you get the baker turnover late in the game that cost them like they just made too many mistakes to eventually be able to overcome and get the win uh and you can't do that if you're gonna if you're that like if you're a touchdown underdog or whatever you you need to make fewer mistakes than the opposition more than likely if you're gonna win the game and green bay didn't uh tampa bay didn't and you know, each one of these teams just couldn't get out of their own way enough to make it happen. Yeah, I thought, uh, so Jared Goff early on, I thought he played a, a pretty good game other than that one. I don't even think it was a bad decision in the end zone. He just missed the throw. He, he kind of lofted it up and uh, just missed it short, and Dean drops the interception. That was a huge play in the game. Ended up just being a field goal opportunity for the Lions, so that cost the Bucks three points there. Um, I thought on the other side, one of the biggest plays of the game was – the Lions I mean momentum is such an overused term I think momentum is really just you know good football plays and you want to have more good ones than bad ones Amonra St. Brown drops an open third and nine third and ten over the middle of the field uh, because the Lions the Lions every time the Bucks would push back the Lions generally came back and, and did a nice job except for this middle of the game St. Brown drops the ball over the middle and it, it really kept the Bucks in the game. That was the Lions offense had had a lot of success, but that was a huge play. And that was a big part of the Bucks comeback there. Mike Evans made up for the early drops. Uh, Baker flips the field with two downfield passes to Evans. One of them was outstanding. And I thought the broadcast did a nice job of saying as soon as they're getting single coverage, as soon as they rolled a single high, you get easier. Use the fist, right? Yeah rolled a single high as soon as the lions rolled the single high baker and evans boom they're like we're we're taking the shot and baker just lofted it up there evans is so good at tracking the ball makes the sliding catch that set up their score just before the half um the bucks needed those those shot plays they weren't taking them the entire game but they needed a few of those to uh to get on the board yeah i mean the lions were the better team basically throughout the game but the the bucks were able to execute sort of one and a half comebacks you know, the, yeah. the first comeback was only, they only needed the one touchdown drive to get back into it uh, in the first half, where it was just before halftime. Baker was fantastic on that drive. I mean, he had a big rush to, to, to make a play 
he then had that quick pass against that kind of cover two look and then the one you're talking about where they rotated the safeties and they just took the the instant shot that got them to the two yard line and then a really nice pass with some touch in the end zone on that kind of pick play that they got away with got away with they judged to be legal whatever you want to however you want to describe that um and now you're 10-10 at the half so you know, the Lions have been the better team, I think, in the first half. And then one drive by Baker and the, the Bucks, and they're able, to, they're able to go in tied up. Then it gets away from them in the second half, and they almost attempt to come back as, again. They get a shot at it, and then Baker throws the, the game loser. A couple key plays in this. So the mistakes that the Bucks made, that you, some of the mistakes that they made, were just in pass protection, just pass protection breakdowns. They can never see, like, defensive bank blitz coming ever right in the entire game and so you know just so we're clear unblocked uh, unblocked defenders are often by design right and so the and, and you say the quarterback's hot off of that guy so if he blitzes you have an answer generally behind him you'll have somebody running a shorter route so you can get the ball out of your hands six times in this game there was unblocked pressure on baker mayfield jared goff facing the crazy blitz happy Tampa Bay defense had unblocked pressure once. Yeah. And so those are tough. Like, um, I thought, I want to explain, like, the Rashad White touchdown, I thought was all Dave Canales, the offensive coordinator for the Bucs. So I don't know if this was scheme, if it was at the line of scrimmage, if Baker Mayfield was not setting protection properly. Sometimes it's the offensive line and their adjustment. There was definitely one. Aiden Hutchinson had the unblocked sack where it looked like Luke Gedeke just blew the – either the snap count or the, it looked like he was supposed to be blocked. Um, but listen, sometimes your protection will leave the best rusher unblocked. And that's okay, oftentimes, because you probably have a quick answer to get rid of the ball, and it doesn't really matter that an Aiden Hutchinson is left unblocked. This particular one, Hutchinson got the sack. Um, but these plays were knocking the Bucks out of field goal range. Like, they were key plays oftentimes. So yeah, the protection was getting broken down pretty badly by this Lions defense. And it's only okay when the quarterback knows it's coming. <laughs> right, of course. Generally speaking, yeah, sometimes you leave a rusher open by design, but the quarterback knows who it is and understands it's coming and, and knows to get rid of the ball quickly. These ones, they were leaving unblocked rushers, and the quarterback never seemed to see it until he arrived in his lap, at which point it's too late to do anything about it. That was the confusing part about it. Um, so that was that was a big part, and I thought that all set up one of the so the reason why the you know the Bucks were in the game late in the third quarter. By the way, a two play sequence here that was massive on was it whatever the previous down was second down I think Baker rolls out and he throws the ball away and his shin was down as he throws it away. Mm-hmm. The refs call it incomplete. It was very close. I think when you freeze frame the replay. He absolutely was down. Probably would have lost five, six yards, whatever it was. It would have made it about third, I think third and 10. I mean, third and 15, 16, 17. And the Lions did not challenge the play. I I don't know what your thoughts are. I kind of don't blame them for challenging, not challenging there because timeouts in the second half are so important. Challenges are so important. And you're kind of at the mercy of the officials. Getting this right in overturning a play, I think it was pretty clear that Baker was down. And also how quickly you get the replays of it. Like, right. It seemed like that one didn't get a clear replay of it for a while, at which point they kind of would have been throwing the flag blind, assuming that it was right or not. Like there was a play uh, in the Ravens game 
where clearly somebody told John Harbaugh to throw the challenge flag, and then as soon as the first replay came out, it's like it wasn't even close. And Harbaugh was pissed off. You're like, somebody told him to throw that flag. It based wasn't off, even close right, at all. Based yeah. off clearly some weird angle that they saw. They're like, oh, it's definitely a fumble. Throw it. And then he, like, the first thing he sees of it, he's like, what are you doing? It's not even close to being a fumble. So, yeah. that um, And so then the very next play in a game where it was just a, it was a fun battle, man, between Lions defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, Bucks offensive coordinator Dave Canales. Again, both coordinators are candidates for head coaching jobs they've they've had interviews and the lions pressure packages had been killing the bucks and for like the third or fourth time this season dave canales calls a screen at the perfect time how many screen passes have the bucks had to rashad white where he's just got green in front of him and that was this that was a uh, a 17 yard touchdown was it uh, yeah, 12 yard touchdown at the end of the third quarter to tie the game at 17 just a beautiful play call uh, because again the screen you're inviting the pressure dumping the ball off blockers in front Rashad White walks in for a 12-yard touchdown to tie the game it was a great call and it does feel like look the Lions are a really good team the secondary when they did man up when they are in single coverage Cameron Sutton I think is a very good corner but more in the zone heavy type of scheme I, I like Cam Sutton because he can he's pretty good outside he's pretty good in the slot he has that versatility he just can't match up with some of the better receivers one-on-one the Lions feel limited on the back end and you saw that at times in this game but this was a great call by Canales to to get the Bucks right back in and tie the game late third quarter mm-hmm. yeah Canales has been fantastic this season um, and then Jameer Gibbs in the fourth quarter 31 yard touchdown justifying the pick <laughs> I mean look the Lions the Lions draft class has been fantastic Sam Laporta he had nine catches for 65 yards. Brian Branch. Despite clearly not being 100%. Yeah, yet. still playing hurt. Brian Branch playing great football as a slot safety hybrid. And Jameer Gibbs has been an incredible playmaker for this offense. Yeah, he has. I mean, this this is a great offense generally across the board. Gibbs is a perfect fit for it right now. He's the perfect fit for today's NFL, which is skewing towards you know fast, explosive running backs that can turn any crease into a bigger play. Um I think, you know, if you're going to have a nuanced conversation about the 12th overall pick, you can separate the player from the value, which is the whole purpose all the way along. Like, you can – Jameer Gibbs can be an incredible player and also not be the pick at 12. Yeah. The right pick at 12. I mean, not to get too far into it, I think think you can – so the running back first-round thing is probably overrated because if if you do make that pick – it's not like, okay, well, the, the roster, everything about the roster is going to be bad now, right? It's not like that extreme. The other part of it is they had four picks in the top 45 or 50 or whatever it was, mm-hmm. 55 picks. That's another element to that. It's not your only – like with the Steelers picking Najee Harris, and it was like, Najee, go fix the run game. We don't have great offensive linemen. We don't have a bunch of other stuff, but go fix the run game. Jameer Gibbs gets added to this team – and I think they've done it the right way, as I said, all season. They don't just give him 25 carries to justify it. They use him in the right role to create explosive plays, which he's doing as a complement to other guys that are getting explosive plays. So I think all of that adds up. The other part of it is the running back in the first round thing, it doesn't always necessarily come back to bite in year one. It's year three or four when he's getting paid more and it hinders other team-building 
decisions. But it's simply a value proposition as well. Like you, the one, okay. So Jameer Gibbs is fantastic. He's been great in this offense. On the other hand, has there been a discernible difference between Jameer Gibbs and Dev, the Devon A. Chan, who was in the third round, and Keaton Mitchell, who was undrafted? Those are essentially the three, the three players, without getting too simplistic and too reductive about it, those are effectively the same guy three times over. One of them was the 12th overall pick. One of them was a third rounder. And one of them was undrafted, right? So the point being with running backs, one of the reasons you don't draft them at the top of the draft is because you can find those guys later on, particularly if you are looking for a very specific skill set. Meanwhile, there are other positions where that is not true, right? Kalijah Kansi, for example, who was a big impact player in this game, you don't find like impact three tech uh, pass rushing interior players all the way throughout the draft. Like who was the third and the seventh round equivalent of Kalijah Kansi? Now the third round, you got Kobe, Kobe Turner. Turner. The seventh round, the undrafted, I don't think there is one this year. So one of the players they could have had instead of Jameer Gibbs is a Kalijah Kansi, for example. I'm just saying we can separate, is Jameer Gibbs great? Yes. From was it the right pick at 12, more debatable. Yeah, that's all. And I think the when he becomes one of the top five or six highest paid running backs on his rookie contract, I think if it's going to come back to bite, it would be then. I don't. Lions fans don't care right now. I mean, he's right. He's awesome. He's fun to watch. And that's he's the thing. Big, it's, it's why he's it's, a big part of this team right now. Yes. With a good offensive line, with playmakers on the outside in the slot at tight end, and then he gets to be the other playmaker to keep the defense off balance, it's a good fit for what the Lions are doing right, right. now. Right, and it's why it's just a waste of time for everyone to be like, you know, ah, you guys said it wasn't a good pick. It's it's pointless. Like, it's, it doesn't matter if it's a good pick or not. They did it. He's an amazing player for them right now, and there's, there is no, like, alternative world where you get to compare the two, so... And, What's the point? And this is the way to use it, man. 74 yards on nine carries, including that 31-yarder, which became the game winner officially, um, plus four catches for 40 yards out of the backfield. Adds a dynamic element to this offense. So the Lions um, started to pull away. They get up 31-17. to 17. Looked done. It looked like the game was over. But again, you know, Baker Mayfield and the, and the Bucks came back. Baker with a big-time throw to Mike Evans for a 16-yard touchdown. And then, of course, they're down eight. And go for two, Sam. Mm -hmm. um, I thought Chris Chris did a good job of quickly explaining that. You don't have a lot you of really time did. on the broadcast. To that was the cleanest it. explanation of that I've heard any announcer make, I think. He had a little extra time, too, because they came out of the break, and he said, let me just reiterate, here's why. Um, it involves two-point conversions being a uh, better than 50-50 proposition across the league and also extra points being less than 100% proposition across the league because they've been pushed back. And then they did run a fade to Mike Evans, which um, hist which historically is about a 33% right. proposition. Now, I will say Brady to Evans fades in their three years together was 70%. So just throwing that out there. The Evans fade, if you look at it through the lens of does the Evan fade, Evans fade work, it does. When Brady was thrown to him, they were about 70%. I don't know what the Mayfield number is. I don't know how many they threw this year. Um, but that one was underthrown, falls incomplete. Bucks were still down eight, and then on their final drive, uh, great play by Derek Barnes to pick off Baker Mayfield to end the game. Yeah, 
Um, and just a bad throw by Baker. I mean, it was a throw that I think was on, and he just missed it. Again, similar to the Jordan Love tipped interception thing. It was a throw that was there to be made, and he was just inaccurate with it. This was, was this one where there was a guy late just flashed into his way and maybe disrupted it? Um, either way, just a, just a miss with the throw, and unfortunately ends the game. Yeah. The, the other element about the two-point thing, though, that, that he described really well is – it effectively changes. So you're down two touchdowns. You need both of them. And then if you kick the extra point first, you then get to decide one play, take it or leave it. Do you want to win the game or just take it to overtime, right? That's a, And the overtime is not a 100% proposition. It's 92 or whatever it is. So that's your decision. Whereas if you go for two early, now you can still get back to overtime by getting to the second time, which is a better than 50-50 proposition, or you then get a choice to just win the game with your 92% kick proposition. That's a better dynamic than let's take the kick and then we still need to, we still then need to get put to a choice of do you want to take a risk and win the game or not. You take the risk first and then you still can get back to the same dynamic that you were before with a better mathematical proposition than if you were just going for it in the first place. Yeah, and, the, and, and just like, um, I mean, just like the Gibbs and drafting a running back at 12, these are like percentage point differences of good, bad, and different that you might never even you might, you might never even feel it, right? The Lions yeah. might never even feel the Gibbs decision. Usually, when you're down eight, making this decision late in the game, you're not even going to feel it either way. But the, not, yeah. it's not going to matter in but, this in this case in the game. It didn't really matter. But this is one of the few. So a lot of these ones we keep sort of saying. Remember the thing about it, it's never a yes. It's never a hard yes or a hard no. It's stealing percentage points here or there. This is one of the few where it's just always mathematically. It's always correct to go for it first. Always. Now it doesn't mean it'll go in your favor. You might run the, yeah. the you might run the fade play and then have just torched it for nothing right it's a a couple percentage it's execution but like you are always better off going for it the first time than not um so obviously the bucks end up they're still down eight they and they had they didn't have a lot of time left what was there a minute to try to make that last last ditch effort one minute with i think one time out to try to get the touchdown in the two-point conversion and, and they fell short um lions defense back last two weeks you know again i think there were some holes on the back end, if they're not getting pressure up front, two minutes. The two minutes. Yeah, that's just, right. It was right at the two-minute two warning. Two warning. Um, Lions defense, I think, has some holes on the back end, but they've done a nice job overall. They cracked down in the red zone last week. They were very aggressive in this game. They were they they matched essentially the blitz happy Bucks defense in blitz rate. They yeah. they sent this and they had more success in terms of dialing up those unblocked um, rushers. So feels like those game plans are just magnified in the playoffs and if if something's not working having to be able to adjust i mean romo was pointing that out in the chiefs bills game it's like both quarterbacks were generally playing pretty good who's gonna play pretty well who's gonna make that adjustment are you gonna attack mahomes you're gonna change things up the lions were very aggressive in this game putting the pressure say hey go make those downfield throws and a few times the bucks made them other times they just busted the bucks uh, pass protections we talked about earlier um, what else you got on this game? That's it. Well, that's it. That's I, I mean, yeah, yeah. And this was sort of almost the reverse of the Brock Purdy conversation for Baker Mayfield, right? Where he actually played pretty well over the course of the game. He executed one comeback in at the end of the first half, almost executed the second one, and then ultimately threw a bad pass that cost yeah. him the game. It's like, what do you do with that? 
as an overall analysis, Baker ends up, uh, I mean, you, you sort of do, and then you do the Jordan Love retrospective of, well, Baker season, enters the year as damaged goods, a broken shell of a quarterback earning $4 million, which is like not good backup money to steer the ship for a year in this weird transition hedge that the Bucks are attempting, gets into the playoffs, wins a playoff game, and does a really good job of almost, you know, keeping and, and keeping them in a game against a better team, and then ultimately cost them the game. Uh, overall, I think a very successful year for him. He ends up earning something like $6.8 million because of the bonuses and blah, blah, blah. Like, got a bonus for winning a playoff game, got a bonus for playing time, got a bonus for something else. So ends up getting like six point eight, which is still like a freaking bargain for a starting quarterback to play pretty well for most of the year. And presumably has earned himself a decent contract now, albeit probably still not. He's probably still down net on the contract he was expected to get from the Browns until they told him to go out there and play with a broken shoulder and then gave his job to somebody else. It was a, yeah, a huge year for Mayfield. He's uh, he's a free agent. Mike Evans is a free agent. They sounded like they both want to be back. Evans, they, you know, they cut off talks with the Bucks, and I think he'd love to be a, a buck for life. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I wasn't expecting that coming into the season that the Bucks were just going to look to roll, you know, run it back with Baker Mayfield. But I think it's it's more likely, far more likely now that they that they do the Geno Smith type of contract and and there's their quarterback and they'll have a little bit more cap flexibility heading into next year too so um good season by the Bucks. also I want to shout out the Lions offensive line Panay Sewell another monster game for him his block on Jameer Gibbs 31 yarder uh, director of analysis Ben Stockwell pointed out incredible reach block to help create that hole for Jameer Gibbs and um Frank Ragnow playing through his injury and just he played well Taylor Decker played well the the Lions offensive line which has been one of the best in the league really stepped up and did what they've done all season yeah Ragnow battling through uh injury Jonah Jackson at left guard he got hurt missed most of the game um Ragnow playing through the injury and uh, you mentioned Kalijah Kansi he did have a great you know huge sack in this game but he's he's been getting beat up in the run game he got beat up on the one of the touchdown runs there as well. And Vita Vea had his standard, you know, two to three plays in the game where he just ragdolls the dude in front of him, and then what happened the rest of them? Why? I don't, I don't get it. Why is Vita Vea not the best defensive lineman in the NFL? Makes no sense. Maybe it's just an endurance thing. Well, then Maybe scale down play, his workload. Play 15 plays If that's the problem, like if the issue is Vita Vea is 900 pounds and can't last 46 snaps, then give him 26 and have the 26 plays be all dominant run, like all dominant absolute ragdoll effects. If I was the coach, I'd tell Vita to do that every time. Right, like sign somebody off the street that can just play 20 snaps of nothing and Vita Vea's 26 snaps will be the best 26 snaps in the game. All right, man. Lions are playing for a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Can't wait to preview that game. Dan Campbell, Kyle Shanahan should be great. Um, before we get to Chiefs Bills, got to talk about AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every day here on the PFF NFL podcast. Love that AG1. Kicking off my day with my caffeine. Gives me that uh, energy boost, immune system support, all the good stuff. It's even better. It's better than taking vitamins. Just take my AG1. Drink it in the morning. Makes me feel unstoppable to take on the day. 
All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1. That's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me the key, key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro-habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. So we just mix that one small scoop with water, drink it first thing every morning, and you're done. also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients, a win-win for all of us here on the PFF NFL Podcast. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. Kansas City Chiefs 27, Buffalo Bills 24. Chiefs move to the AFC Championship. Sixth straight year they'll be in the AFC Championship. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. First time going on the road in the playoffs, and they win another heartbreaker for Buffalo Bills and their fans. Yeah, great game. Um, great game and a disappointing ending, I think, was how this one ended up. Like, it looked for most of the game like it was setting up to be another absolute classic, and just the end of it was kind of weak, you know? But yeah. the rest of the game was phenomenal. Yeah, every game, every play just felt so intense. I mean, Josh Allen tried to tried an open field lateral on his first third down yeah he did and uh we know you know the physics of the backwards pass and how, did you just say it works differently in rugby yeah so this is this is interesting because this is one of the reasons it's not so much i don't think the reason but this is one it's a reason you can't just do it the way they do in rugby um because this America has this like American football NFL has this defined like the yard markers are the yard markers and if the ball goes forward you're screwed right whereas rugby essentially um, understands that if two guys are running forward and one of them throws the ball backwards to the other one the ball is probably still traveling forwards right for a lot of those plays but as long as the throw angle is backwards correct so you can have these laterals in rugby where the ball will actually travel forwards, but relative to the two people that are passing it, it's backwards. Whereas in football... Which is a good thing, right? Like you're gaining ground and you yes, want to do that. Exactly. And it means you can attempt passes like this. That ex Whereas in football, it's like if that, if that ball travels forwards, even if relative to the two players it went backwards, it's a forward pass. So that I think is slightly problematic to the idea of let's just go full rugby all the time. Um, but I also think... If it's close, let it go. You know, like the like the the fancy touchdown thing, right? If it's cool, let it stand. If if the lateral is there, let it go. Unless it's egregious, you know? Give See, it a, like the like the pick play thing, right? If it's within a yard, what the hell? Pick plays are so stupid though. They should all be banned. Pick play you can't ban all pick plays. Pick play is just the dumbest that that being legal in football is just so stupid. You can't ban all pick plays. Sure you can. No, you can't. Why, why is it allowed within a yard? Just because? Because it'd be too chaotic to not allow it within a yard. This, like, switch releases and all this kind of thing. It happens. You can't just go, all pick plays are illegal. The Bucks, uh, I think their first touchdown was a pick, was a legal pick play within a yard. It was, you know, yeah. I mean, they're well designed when you do it and, and everything. It's just like, a, it's just so stupid. And, you know, 
I know DB is supposed to see it, and you want to, you know, change. No, that's the worst. You can't play press across the board because you're susceptible. Yeah. You got to be ready for it. It's the worst. But idea it's like, oh, yeah, let me set a pick like it's basketball, and then the guy's wide open. So stupid. Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible idea to ban all pick plays. Anyway, this ended up being. I mean, this was a three-point play in the end because uh, Josh Allen laterals. Well, so they have the lateral third and short. The next play, they then more rugby, just different rugby. This time, Allen. It wasn't quite a push play. Allen, like, takes the ball on the sneak and goes off, like, tackle or whatever. And then they get two latchers either side and drive him over the line. Proper, like, that's how you score in the try line of rugby. Like, in tight. Beautiful. Back-to-back rugby plays. Love it. There's a lot of specific plays to talk about at high level just to talk about the Bills really quick. They're all disappointing losses to the Chiefs. I think maybe the most disappointing one is they executed the game plan really really well the bills did a lot of things well if you drew it up i mean there was only two the chiefs only had two possessions in the first half two real possessions in the first half we talk about this on every preview show if you can run the ball there's this it's not just run it if you can literally just pick up three four five yards and then you know you pick up a second and three and then, you know, you pick up five on first down. And the Bills were doing this over and over again, right? Picking up five, picking up seven on first down, you know, converting a, a second and three, taking the long, long time off the clock. 14 plays, 60 yards. 11 plays, 75 yards. Over six-minute drives in the first half. They had another 12-play drive at the end of the first half to score a touchdown, to go up 17-13. The Bills did so many things well from a game plan perspective but they couldn't stop the Chiefs offense like the Bills defense felt depleted they had no answers the Chiefs and the Chiefs just felt like juggernaut that's done this before had answers for everything that Bills had defensively were not stopped really Um, but the Bills game plan gave them this opportunity gave them a chance and then at the end of the day there were some key drops of course there's a missed field goal it ended up being like just from again from a Bills perspective I think they did a lot of things right and they just could not connect on a downfield pass yeah or you have the open touchdown at the end of the game where Josh Allen that the pressure just gets to him on the second down missed touchdown before the missed field goal it just came down they put themselves in position to just be one play away from making from from winning this game and they just couldn't do it yeah and for the I mean Josh Allen certainly for the first three quarters was playing out of his mind like every time they needed to play, Allen found a way to get it done. A guy drops, you know, a touchdown just before uh, Allen just runs it in himself later. The play he had in the third quarter, the third and 13 touchdown, I, I like scoffed audibly when that happened. It's like I couldn't Allen, believe that. Allen just yeah. like decides to bail from the pocket, rolling to his left, jukes a guy to buy a little bit of time, and then just rifles the ball in to a receiver in the corner of the end zone. That happened. I was just like, 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 what are you supposed to do against that? That's that ridiculous. Red zone, and that was a horrendous red zone drive, right? I mean, they just, uh, they had penalties. They had, uh, I think they wasted a timeout on, which ended up, you know, that comes back to bite. It was a horrendous red zone drive. And Allen just rolls out and throws a ridiculous throw to Kalush Kier in the, in the side of, uh, along the sideline for the touchdown. So, I mean, the Bills made a lot of mistakes. But they did a lot of good things to put themselves in position to win the game. They did. Um, so Allen was playing out of his mind, and then the Bills receivers became the Chiefs receivers. Like, he had 
They, so it was this weird stat where the Bills were up 17-13. Like, it was this sort of bizarre dynamic where Kansas City is sort of winning the game in all tangible aspects except the scoreline. And then somehow Buffalo kept ahead on the scoreline. So they were 17-13 up. And at this point, the Bills hadn't had an explosive play at all. And Kansas City had had six. And, that, and But that's what I'm saying. It's like you can't necessarily draw that up. But if you were to draw it up, that's how you would want to play the Chiefs. Because you're, you're score, at the end of the day, you're scoring points. But you're taking up a lot of time. You're limiting possessions. And then it just puts a little bit more pressure on the Chiefs offensively, especially this year where their offense has been less effective. But they found their playoff offense. And they're back, and Mahomes has played really clean football the last two weeks. Isaiah Pacheco's running like crazy. But, like, the Bills put, like, this was the way you would draw it up. We're going to control the football. We're going to grind it out. At the end of the day, it's like James Cook didn't feel like he averaged 3.4 yards per carry. But I think they, they, there's this tough balance between we're running the ball really well, and at some point, that's going to run out. And I, if, if you start passing the ball too early, everybody's like, oh, you were running the ball well. Why'd you get away with it? I thought the Bills were just like a series or two late turning the ball back over to Allen to just say, okay, go make go make more special plays. Go make some more explosives. Um, and again, I know they had opportunities and they had those drops, which we'll talk about more. Yeah, but. that's the thing. So Allen dialed up several potentially explosive plays, and on none of them did the Bills receivers manage to come down with the football. Um, they had one early that was a perfectly thrown pass. They had this other great uh, deep pass to where Trent Sherfield seemed to make a mess of the like tracking it and just didn't come in enough, quickly enough. Yeah. And ends up diving, thought he caught it, and he didn't. The ball came out when he hit the ground. And then the one to Stephon Diggs, where they get exactly what they want. They get him isolated on a safety, one-on-one downfield on play action, and he just, again, makes a mess of the, the ball at the at the catch point. Like, when the, the safety ends up falling over, and Diggs just sort of jumps in, tries to catch that, it, and doesn't. That Diggs pass was insane. That's like eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. That would have, at the minimum, I mean, they were they started that, play that play was from their own 20 yard line and it would have got them to the chiefs 20 yard line like that was an absolute bomb yeah and it's stefan diggs man it's a 60 yard pass in the air and it's more than that because of wherever the hell he's loosing it from like the own his tan it's like a 70 yard pass in the air and diggs just doesn't catch it what a weird finish to the season for stefan diggs and the bills because there was a point when when josh allen turned the corner in 2020 it was it coincided with Stephon Diggs yeah getting him getting him as the high volume win at every level of the field type of receiver and whatever's happened in the second half of the season like it's been good to see the Bills evolve to having more of a run game and having the running backs and the tight ends as a big part of the passing game and having Dalton Kincaid uh, you know step up and be this different type of threat but it was to the detriment of Stephon Diggs, who at any given time could have that game where he has eight, nine, ten catches, and uh, just haven't seen that. And then in the, you know, in these big games, that drop is going to be huge, man. And then even at the end of the day, so then there's the the second down pass that everybody's talking about. The Bills are at about two minutes. They have this chance to the balance of we could try to score a touchdown and run out the clock. We can run out the clock and score a touchdown and never give Mahomes the ball back kick a field goal, give it back to him, probably get our heart broken again anyway. 
But second down, Josh Allen misses the throw in the end zone. Chris Jones walks Deion Dawkins back into him. Probably the reason why he missed the throw. Also had Stephon Diggs open on the shallow cross. On people, yeah, people were hating on that throw. Here's a question. In, in this game, which I don't think was quite the same as it was. So, like, remember the last game that they met, the crazy shootout, and then whoever had the ball at the end was going to win because both offenses were cooking, both defenses were wrecked. Nobody was stopping anybody, and that's why they changed the overtime rule, right? Allen never saw the ball again, and that was a travesty because Allen was going to score when he got the ball, and Mahomes was going to score when he got the ball. This wasn't the same as that. Um, so everyone's like, what is Allen doing? He's attempting this pass. You should have just taken the thing. You don't want to give the Chiefs the ball that early. Like, well, okay, but he had a touchdown. But to need a touchdown. I mean, there's a difference. If the Chiefs needed a touchdown right. versus needing a field so goal. So that was an open touchdown, and he probably would have hit it if Chris Jones hadn't arrived right as he threw the ball and bumped him, and that changes, obviously, the flight of the ball. If you were given the option there, you can have a first down on a shallow underneath throw to Stevon Diggs, or you can have anyway. the touchdown. It would have been third and short, probably. Whatever. You can have either the first down or you can have a touchdown on that play. Which would you prefer? I'd take the touchdown. Right. I'd Even though you're giving Mahomes the ball with two yeah. minutes left or whatever it was. Um, I thought, oh man, I really think that play is like a microcosm of Spag's defense. The, the hot spot to throw the football in the NFL is the intermediate level, the 10 to 19-yard level, just, again, oversimplifying things. But that is where if you're effective throwing the ball in that range – or if you throw the ball often in that range, you're probably pretty effective and you're moving the ball. And Spag's defense does a great job of taking those plays away. And on that very play, you have a deep ball opportunity, which um, the window was opening up. But again, it's it's got to be longer developing, so it gives the pass rush time to get there. Chris Jones ends up getting there. That's part of you're giving that opportunity. But if the pass rush gets there, the opportunity's gone. Or you have the shallow where we're just going to rally to the ball and get it. But Spag's defense does not give those intermediate passes and they in it I feel like you felt that in this Bills game when they moved the ball they 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 tried these low percentage deep shots which didn't hit they had opportunities but they didn't hit or they just threw it underneath they had a lot of screen game a lot of underneath stuff but the intermediate level is just not there against the Spags defense and I feel like that one play is just the microcosm of how they play and how tough it is to throw the ball against this this Chiefs defense and that was all the same drive as that Miss bomb to Stephon Diggs, or that miss, was to kick it miss off. catch. Like that was the first play of that drive. I mean, at eight minutes left, if in the that game. hit, we might have had that same divisional round situation as a right. couple weeks, uh, a couple years ago, where they had three more drives each, and they would have gone back and forth. Yeah, but then that's what I'm saying about the Bills, and like a lot of things broke their way, as in this, they 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 could have had an eight minute drive to end the game. Yeah, and never let Mahomes have the ball. Now, if Diggs catches that pass, it could have been, you know, like a one-minute drive. And, you know, again, there would have been this back and forth. But game flow-wise, the Bills had it set up. Their defense just could not stop the Chiefs. Right. I don't have a problem. that ended up being being the biggest thing. Yeah, I don't have a problem going for the touchdown on that second down play. Like, I think the touchdown was there. If he scores on that drive, okay, sure. In an ideal world, you don't want to give Mahomes the ball with two minutes to go. On the other hand, you did kind of need the touchdown – so I'm okay with that. Like, take it. It's there. Hit it. Like, pass up the first down. I think the, t- the points are more valuable to you at that point than the time. Like, yeah. in an ideal world, sure, you would like to chew up the rest of the two minutes 
and win the game with a touchdown with, you know, 12 seconds to go. But it's not an ideal world. So the touchdown is there. Take it, and then you hope that your defense can get something done. Or, by the way, that they score fast enough that you get another shot to just get a field goal or whatever. Right. The next one, though, I think is more debatable. Like the third down play right after that, taking the touchdown. That's where a little bit Jordan Love-like, he's forced from the pocket and then just like takes a shot randomly into the end zone for nothing. Like that was silly. That one, there were passes open. I mean, he's got a guy as he's rolling out right, whoever that is, his tight end from the left, is sitting in front of him the whole way. You can pick up half of your first down and maybe get all of it if he breaks a tackle uh, and keep the clock moving. Instead, you took a shot that was never on, and I don't even—I think he was throwing it away. I don't even think that was aimed at anybody. That was bad. The one before, I think, is fine. That was not a good decision. Man, it, all, that stuff all matters at the end. Game flow and, and decisions by the quarterback. That's why I do think that the fourth quarter comeback stat overall um, means a lot because the quarterback dictates those—they dictate those decisions. It's in the quarterback's hands to, to, to weigh the balance of when to take the shots, when to take the easy stuff, when to take off and run, when to throw the ball away, when to live another down, right? Um, I think all that stuff matters in the end. And those are the things, like, again, every play is magnified. At the end of the day, you're going to be like, man, all these missed opportunities or different decisions that could have been made to potentially change the outcome. There's also this crazy sequence at the early in the fourth quarter that we, we didn't even get to at all. We're going to work um, backwards again, like the newspaper article. You start at the end and work backwards. Now. So Kansas City scores touchdown, Pacheco touchdown, early in the fourth quarter to take the lead. They're now 27-24 up. Buffalo gets the ball, their turn to answer, and they effectively go three and out. Um, and then the Chiefs line up with only 10 men on the field for the, for the punt. So and I haven't heard whether this has been confirmed or sketched out exactly how this worked but the bills ran a fake punt uh demar hamlin gets the ball of all people um and the chiefs stuff it they only get two yards out of it they needed five now it was sort of suggested that that's just an automatic call they had 10 men on the field they had the look they wanted they were outmanned to the side of the ball they ran and i think it was drew tranquil just makes a great play basically beating two guys instead of one and screwing up the whole play. Or maybe it was Leo Chanel, one of the, the linebackers. Um, I haven't heard that confirmed. whether Because that's a hell of a, like, uh, authority, autonomy to give uh, a punt team. Like, hey, if they have 10 guys, whenever, wherever, doesn't matter game situation, doesn't matter where we are, you've, you've got liberty to just take the punt, take the fake, you know? I feel like those things are always practiced, and it's always uh, an adjustment or a read. But then sometimes... But it feels crazy. Somebody needs to step in right. and be like, don't It would be don't wild do it if the head coach doesn't yeah. have veto on that to just be like, hey, not now. Like, ordinarily, sure, this is quite a critical situation in a playoff game with everything on the line at our own 30. I don't really want to go for it right now. They end up going for it. They get stuff. You can argue that it was the right, um, the right you know, procedural process play. Like, theoretically... If you look at the alignment, the fact that they're a man down, they should have picked it up. They just didn't. Uh, anyway, so that gives the Chiefs the ball at Buffalo's 32-yard line, having just taken the lead, and now potentially we can stretch this to 10 points. We can really start to turn the screws on Buffalo and, and really put them in a hole. And they're right about there now at the three-yard line. They're about to go in. 
and uh, a fumble. Miko Hardman does everybody's favorite play, fumbles through the end zone, and now whole different dynamic. And it was so close. Like, ball is knocked out by, was it Micah Hyde or, or uh, Jordan Poyer? Jordan Poyer, I think. Um, Great play, man. Really was. And he just knocks it loose before before Hardman comes, hits the ground. Like, it's... It's not right quite my, one frame, yeah. which we had earlier, but it was like three or it four frames. Close. It was really close. I started writing my notes in all caps. You know, Bill's fake punt in own territory. Then Hardman just fumbling out of bounds. Jordan Poyer, like, what's going on here? Um, just, there. <laughs> that's the other thing. I, I'm, I'm taking the Bill's perspective here just because I really feel for the heartbreak of the fans or whatever. Like, there were so many... That was a lucky play. At the end of the, I mean, it was a great play by Jordan Poyer, but like you lucked out, like you got out of this disastrous situation. If the Chiefs score a touchdown, it's a two-score game. And there were so many of these plays that the Bills would have looked back and be like, "That was the turning point." Like the Jordan Poyer forced fumble on a potential path to the Super Bowl would have been one of the most legendary plays in Bills history. You know the. Um, Josh Allen touchdown that you referenced on third and goal from the 13. You're not supposed to score third and goal from the 13. Like those plays would have been legendary plays in in Bills history, but it didn't matter because they, you know, missed. A, you know, Stephon Diggs if he just held on to the ball down the field, whatever it might have been, they just left. They they gave themselves opportunity with some of these plays, but then left others on the table. Um, and then the reason I started this this whole game with saying amazing game, just an anticlimactic ending was after those two plays where Allen took a shot at the touchdown, just didn't get it, and then randomly either throws the ball away or just has a bad target at nobody instead of taking a first down or a, a close first down play. They didn't attempt a field goal. Miss it wide right. The Chiefs get the ball, and it's like, well, Buffalo now needs to stop, and Pacheco just runs the ball a couple of times. They can't stop him. Game over. The it's first like, run, man. I mean, it, yeah, they got like nine on the first run. It's unbelievable. Like that, that just doesn't give you any margin for error anymore. Now you need two plays, three probably, of elite defense to have any shot, and they couldn't. So. Two runs, game was over. I mean, the, the Chiefs' run game has been fantastic. Uh, you know, the – so the Hardman play, first off, putting the ball in Hardman's pl- hands at the goal line. This is like an amazing history that the Chiefs have of Kadarius Toney and Mecole Hardman and just, man, just bad. But it's also a long and place. glorious history of those like tricksy plays working easily and yeah. everyone going, ah, how do they dial them that, all up? That would have been another Mahomes touchdown pass. It was a exactly. That's it was what a I mean. Like yeah. you've got to take the good with the bad it's just that they've gotten more bad out of, out of it recently but this has been working for years for them so I don't I think we tend to overanalyze that a little bit based off the results like sure in general terms Miko Hardman would be one of the players on that roster that I would have less confidence in than some others but on the other hand it was like it it those normally work so I don't know that you can just say well this time it was a fumble therefore it's a stupid play call but then the, uh, the Chiefs' offense looks nothing like they did during the regular season. I will say Mahomes has played just clean football these last couple of weeks. He did miss a couple open touchdowns early that, again, if, if the Bills pulled off the win, you'd look back and say, hey, Mahomes left a couple throws on the table that were open. But they had open receivers all day. Corner right. routes were wide open against the Bills. This A.J. Was... Klein was manned up against Travis Kelsey, had no chance. Yeah. This was the closest it's looked to the Chiefs' offense all year. 
Like, yeah. number one, they didn't make a ton of mistakes. Number two, Travis Kelsey looked like Travis Kelsey. Rasheed Rice was still uh, dangerous anytime he got the ball. Remember, like, he's had a problem fumbling at various times this year. There was a play he had where it was like a short pass to him. He gets like 10 yards and then hits contact, goes down. And his hand warmer flew off. And I was like, oh, the ball. Did you ball! see my tweet? No. I said I almost dove through the TV right. to jump on his hand warmer. Like, I was like, ah, there's the ball's there's, out. Yeah. No, no, it's just his hand warmer. Hand We're warmer. good. Um, but he had Marquez Valdez-Scantling had a, a, you know, a big play in there as well. So this was the closest it's looked mm-hmm. to the Chiefs offense all season long. Of course, you have to bear in mind that it came against this banged up, decimated Bills defense, which – it, I mean, we've gone this far without mentioning it, but is a big factor in this. Like, as the game wore on, particularly again, like Houston's defense was did a really good job first half, just ran out of steam in the second half. I felt like the Bills' defense, like they did a pretty good job the first half, and then they just could not stop Kansas City. And when you start looking at who they had on the field, it's like it's unreasonable to expect them to have stopped them in a lot of these plays. They just didn't – they just run out of personnel. Like, eventually – it's such a sad reality to the NFL, but so many of these playoff games end up getting determined by just who is banged up to the point where they're no longer functional. Yeah. And the Bills secondary, the Bills back seven just got so banged up that it's like you can't stop what they have going right now. Well, like AJ Klein missed the snap and they're like they're saying before the game, it's the first like week of practice that McDermott has ever run where he only had like four linebackers active at all. And then Klein has to miss a snap because he's hurt. They're like, dude, you got to get back out there because we don't have. But is there anybody, like, there's nobody better than Andy Reid and, of course, Mahomes executing it than attacking those things. Yeah. And it was like, okay, we're going to, we're laser focused on AJ AJ Klein. And they, they, they got Travis Kelsey isolated him a couple times early on. So I don't want to make the whole analysis about that, but you have to at least bring it up and say, you know, the Bills were dealing with an unreasonably depleted couple of units that, are pretty significant when you're yes. talking about a game like this. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say is, I said earlier in the year, like the Ma- Ma- Marcos Valdez-Scantling thing, just because he's dropped the first 20 deep balls doesn't mean he will the next few. I still think that the greatest skill a receiver can bring to an offense is getting open behind the defense. Valdez-Scantling did it twice in this game and caught both of those passes because over you know you're, even if you catch 70% of them, which is a terrible percentage for an NFL receiver – you're still creating some big plays, and he did in this one. So I don't think his regular season failures matter going into the playoffs. And that was the thing as soon, where the Bills didn't have answers. First play of the second half, the Bills are like, all right, we're not going to play zone anymore because we keep busting coverages and leaving wide open receivers. We're going to play man coverage. And Mahomes goes rhythm, slot fade, puts it right on Marquez Valdez-Scantling's hands for a, for a long play, 32-yard, whatever it was, and or 30-plus-yard 30, 30 play. And it was like, the Bills just didn't have any answers. And they didn't have any answers for the run game either. Isaiah Pacheco, yeah. 97 yards on 15 carries. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire comes in with a 28-yard run. The Chiefs averaged over six yards a carry, including the kneel downs. It was close to seven with just their running backs. If not more, it was more than seven with their two running backs. So the Chiefs' offense was, was humming across the board. Mahomes only had to throw the ball 23 times. But they just created a ton of big plays in this one. Like you said, it looked like the old Chiefs offense, in addition to the Bills just looking depleted. And that's why, like, if the Chiefs offense doesn't play that efficiently, the Bills win this game. Because the Bills controlled the ball, shortened the game, only gave the Chiefs so many possessions. And they made a couple key stops late. 
But the Chiefs' offense being that efficient was the why, the reason why they won. Yeah, the Chiefs' defense made a few key stops at the end, but the Bills put themselves in a great position to finally win this game, and they couldn't create those explosive plays that Kansas City could, and that was the difference. And it's interesting now. I mean, the Chiefs are uh, they're in the AFC Championship game, uh, game again. The <laughs> Mahomes has never not been in the AFC Championship game during his NFL career when he started. That's insane. Like every year. I mean, that's that's higher than the Tom Brady Belichick baseline. Every year they're in the AOC title yeah. game. Minimum. Doing it, doing it going on the road here. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's going to be a great matchup with the Ravens. Can't wait to see it. Um, but it, it, but it will be interesting because so the first game against Miami, Miami had run out of pass rushers. None. Yeah. They're, they're signing them off the street. They're getting these aged veterans that used to have great play in them, hoping they had 20 snaps in them for this game. Buffalo had no linebackers. They're doing a similar thing. Like A.J. Yeah. Klein still being in the NFL is crazy based off his career at this point. He's their starting linebacker and the guy that's matched up with Travis Kelsey all game long. I mean, the next game, the AFC title game, will be the first game that Kansas City's offense is tested against a unit that doesn't have, like, not just a glaring weakness, but a crippling issue at one right. level of the backups defense. that just were not even on the team right or not like, playing at all just, just a two weeks ago massive glaring weakness at one level of the defense that will be pretty interesting um it's also kind of interesting both title games now are one seed versus three seed one versus three yeah um, uh i can't believe we haven't mentioned uh jason kelsey the true star of the show yeah wow he had a day he had a day. Podcasters gone wild. He was tailgating, having like bowling ball shots before the game. And then that was quite early in the game where he was shirtless, leaping out of the box into the stand. And I saw, you saw like a little clip of that. You're like, oh, yeah, I wonder what he's doing there. And then I saw like a longer clip that was, he literally just like jumped out of the box. Jumped into the stand. Just grabbed a beer off somebody, chugged that, and then jumped back in. It was like... 15 seconds max of the whole thing no shirt the entire time right and then there's a bit later on when you know they they go back taylor swift is celebrating and now he's just sitting behind her quietly sipping another beer shirtless great (laughs) photo bomb there and it was chris long you know his former teammate was like this uh people think this is uh, a sign that jason kelsey's retiring yeah no it's just jason like he was doing this the best thing i saw was uh was Oh, what's his name? Danny, Danny Helflitz, Helfife, the guy from The Ringer. Yeah. Uh, I forget Danny his name. H. Yeah, Danny H., good friend of the show, whose name I've forgotten. <laughs> um, he, he said it to the, the dinosaur, the T-Rex at the end of Jurassic Park, where he's like roaring in the, the, in the ruins of the building, you know? So it's yeah. just Jason Kelsey, like with the dinosaur roar. That was very good. That was amazing. How many beers do you think he was in at that point? Uh, 20s. 20s. Up to 20. Because that was quite well, early in the shots game. too, maybe it was closer to 10. But they uh, ends up on my timeline again here. Right. Sheil was saying that apparently, you know, remember the when they won the Super Bowl and he was dressed up in the parade in whatever getup it was and he gave that crazy speech? Yes. So he said at that point he was more than 20 beers in for that speech. Before that speech, he had more than 20 beers. And when asked to rate his drunkenness on a scale of 1 to 10, he said it was only a 5. Hmm. So he's got more in him. Minimum, I think he was twenty deep at that point, where he's shirtless, jumping out of the box. A well-conditioned professional. But athlete. he was coordinated enough to be able to jump back into the box from the stand. So over twenty, less than thirty. 
I just don't know how many shots are in there. That's no, I mean, you know, let's say units. You know that units of alcohol thing? Yeah. Just treat a shot as a beer and you're good. Oh, I got Or you. a shot is, is a shot to beer, whatever it is. He's, still, he's between 20 and 30. 20 yeah. units. Yeah. 20 to 25. Yeah. Um, impressive performance by Jason Kelsey. Incredible. I, there was one more thing I wanted to say about the, the Josh Allen second down. The pressure was, the pressure got to him. Yeah. And again, man, how many times has Chris Jones had like the game Physical clinching? pressure. Physical pressure. Right. Um, Chris Jones putting pressure on him in the pocket. From the tackle, by the way. It was that, remember we said before that like Chris Jones. Against tackles. Chris Jones dials up his most important plays. He only does it like a few times a game. But in the most critical situations, Chris Jones goes out and beats up a tackle. Yeah. And Deion Dawkins had a great season this year. He did. Like he's. One of the best tackles in the NFL this season, and Chris Jones went out and bull rushed him into Josh Allen's lap on that critical play. I'd have to see it again, but my one question there is, could he have stepped up in the pocket and created a little bit more space? Could he have felt the pressure and created a little bit more space? By the way, early early in the game, do you remember Chris Jones' batted pass on uh, the Bills' first drive? Yeah. That was one of the weirdest plays. It's a three-man rush, and Jones was getting double-teamed, and he just stopped playing. Like, he just was standing there. And Allen threw the ball off his shoulder pads, basically. And, you know, he jumped up to try to tip it, but he basically threw it off Jones' shoulder pads. Those were two plays. Allen got away with one of them, be very specific here. But the Chiefs went three-man rush in the red zone, which I generally hate because I think a quarter, if a quarterback is patient, they will find somebody open. And Allen wasn't – he threw on rhythm both times. Um, now, one, he was kind of patient, but he threw the ball off Jones' shoulder pads. The other one he threw on rhythm – it was that bang-bang play to Shakir that, like, barely converted the first. But I thought Allen could have um, maneuvered the pocket. That's, like, the time to scramble. When it's a three-man rush, you should not throw the ball in rhythm because there's eight men in coverage, and if you scramble around, you'll get an open receiver over time. It's one of those things I like to see from quarterbacks. That's another one of those situational awareness things, I think, that are important. Um, so the answer to your question is yes. Uh, if Allen takes just a step to the right, it's a perfectly clean pocket, and he has no problem. The, he could have felt it. Maybe. Well, the caveat to that is I don't think it's reasonable for him to have expected if he had even a passing understanding of the picture that was involved there, you don't expect Deion Dawkins to be coming back to you at that rate of knots. Like, Dawkins has position. He actually wins the initial contact. He's got his hands on Chris Jones' chest plate. Jones actually misses his first sort of punch at this has to like re like he, his hands slip off he comes back underneath them and from that point Dawkins is in position with better leverage like better pad level and essentially looks like he's anchored and then Jones just fires him back four or five yards into Allen like if Allen let's assume his eyes are downfield he's just got the picture on his periphery from his point of view, his left tackle's fine, and then suddenly his left tackle's ass just like careens into the side of him. Yeah, it's just an insane Chris Jones play. It's really tough in uh, hindsight looking at those plays. Um, sorry, something came across the timeline. I don't want to talk about it later. Okay, um, let's wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so four games, man. We went over two hours. We did our thing. Always. Uh, we'll Easy. be back. So this week we're gonna do. We'll start talking a little bit about the draft. We'll do. Uh, we got Jim Nagy coming on the show Thursday. Senior Bowl preview. Um, 
he'll be on Thursday. I think we might preview the game a different day, maybe on Wednesday. We'll preview the championship weekend. Um, I'm looking forward to those games, though. Lions going to San Francisco. Chiefs going to Baltimore. Um, should be awesome. But, um, yeah, we'll be doing that later in the week. Mm-hmm. You're here tomorrow? Yep, every day. All right. We appreciate everybody. Um, also, there's one more one more thing you can do on your way out besides voting for us for podcast of the year. Link seven, in the description. Just 17 more things we need of you. Two more things. Go okay. vote for us, and you can get 30% off. Uh, annual subscriptions over at PFF. Promo code 30MDS. That's Mock Draft Simulator. 30MDS gets you 30% off any annual subscription over at PFF. So go do that right now. Get your subscription. Vote for us if you want. Best American Football Podcast. All righty. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow with more PFF. NFL podcast.